the best place to buy tires? Where's the best repair shop for my hybrid? Questions about your car? Drive into Dobbs. With more than 40 locations, our team of technicians will get the job done right the first time. For deals you can use, click on gotodobbs.com now. For over two decades, E&B Granite has been St. Louis's trusted name for kitchen, bathroom, and outdoor space renovations that are guaranteed to bring new life into your living spaces. Their skilled team will provide you with personalized customer service, fast turnaround times, and prices you won't find with big box stores. Support local and schedule free consultation at enbgranite.com or call them at 314-645-9300 or better yet, stop by the showroom and explore their massive inventory. Again, that's enbgranite.com. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. The Jets get it in front, shoot it on, and another big save by Bennington. And the Blues are going to need Jordan Bennington over these next four games a lot. They are opening one tough schedule with a bit of a COVID and injured lineup. Two on one, and it's wide of the goal. Pionk just missed a wide open net. The puck's loose. Bennington trying to cover it up at the top of the blue paint. He does. Now the Jets try to tie. Wheeler brings it in, shoots it on. Bennington the save, and you can bring out the Zamboni. A shootout win for the Blues in Winnipeg tonight. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. That's what it sounded like right here on your home for the Blues last night. My goodness, was Jordan Bennington outstanding in that game. He saved 13 of the 14 high-danger chances against him. Basically, they were all night just right on him, and they had great opportunities. The Jets did all night long. And Bennington was a brick wall in front of the net. The only goal he gave up was one that he had no chance to save because it ricocheted off of Scandella. Alex, what did you make of Benner last night in the Blues finding a way, despite clearly not having their best game, to pull out a couple of points on the road in Winnipeg? Business as usual, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, that, was your, that was your takeaway. As <laughs> usual. Can we not make that usual? Because, you know. Yeah, that would be nice if we didn't make it usual. No, look, Bennington did what he has done all season long, and that game was impressive. Throughout an 82-game schedule, you're going to have to win games in different ways. Like, think about it. The Arizona Coyotes game where you just run away with it and you let them back in, but it was an easy victory. The Vegas Golden Knights game where it was a one goal game that you found a way to just knuckle down. That was a game that I thought the defense won that hockey game for you. Last night was two different ways of winning a game in one. It was playing from behind the entire game where you don't have your best stuff and come back and tie things up and then win it. But it was also the goalie stealing the game for you. You didn't have your game from the moment that puck dropped last night. Blues looked slow. There was too much east-west passing in their own zone that resulted in turnover. The first eight minutes of that first period, it felt like the Blues couldn't get out of their own zone. 
finally got a little bit of life towards the end. Had some life in the second, but all in all, that was... They had no life in the second period. Zero life, well, sir. Towards Zero. the last, like, two minutes where they actually put some pressure on Anna, on, um, that on Winnipeg. That could have you, me, and Tanner as the forward lines in that game, and it wouldn't have been a whole lot different from the amount whoa, of offense whoa. that they generated in I the second period. I promise you that it would be very much it different. It was rough. My bet would be two of us, three of us couldn't stay on our skates for more than 10 seconds. I'm absolutely kidding. I would have no idea how to handle a puck while on, or handle a stick while on skates. Not a chance. He would hold it the wrong way. <laughs> yeah, not not he would a hold chance. It, uh, He'd be trying to he would take hold a shot it the down on the ice. But anyway, they had spurts of life, but the entire game, all they needed was their goaltender because Bennington basically would make on the one that will stick out to me for the rest of this season until he makes a better one was the, the shot from Mark Shifley where he was down and out and they had like on his back and then on his stomach and And then then they had the empty net and he (laughs) jumps up and he gets a kick save with a guy like three feet in front of him. That was one of the most impressive regular season games for Jordan Bennington. Uh, It was the third game this season that he has seen 40 or more shots and he's won two of those three. Jordan Bennington's locked in this season. Call it fighting for the Olympics. Call it trying to prove something. Whatever it may be, he has been the MVP, and I would not be surprised if he continues this all season long. He's been unbelievable, and you know I like bringing up the high-danger saves, and I know there are people that are like, you're a nerd. It's the high-danger stuff again. Why do we have to keep listening? I get it. Um, But the reason why I bring it up with Bennington this year is because he's been the best in the league in terms of how often he is seeing high danger chances against. And this is something to Tanner's point of, hey, maybe the Blues need to improve that defense. He has seen 70 or excuse me, 81 high danger shots against 81. That is right up there at the top of the league. The only goalie that has seen more so far this year is Robin Linner, who has huh. seen 86. Yeah, you need top four defensemen. They got four of them and look at their team. Yeah, not good. Um, and Jordan Bennington has been better in those situations than Robin Leonard has so far this year. Bennington has saved 86% of the high danger shots against him That's this a year. team stat. That's outstanding. And when you're looking at how the Blues are able to withstand some of the issues that they're having right now, it's Bennington. They're without a couple of their top six forwards. Benner has their back. Uh, they're without right now Tory Krug on the back end defensively. Bennington's got him. He has been the rock for them so far this season. You've been in and out of the lineup with O'Reilly and Shin and Saad. Uh, Buchnevich had those couple of games where he was out. Now you're without one of your top four defensemen. Bennington's been the only guy that basically every game has been out there. He's only missed two games so far this year, and it wasn't missing. It was them finding a way to get him a little bit of rest. I, I was skeptical of him performing like a top 10 goalie this year. He has been that and then some for them. Yeah. Especially when you look at what some of these other guys, like Frederick Anderson right now is the best goalie in the National Hockey League for what he's doing with the Carolina Hurricanes. But right below him, I would have Jordan Bennington's name, especially when you consider that four of the 11 games, maybe five of the 11 games, the Blues have not had their best stuff and they got points four out of those five games. And this road trip in particular, I mean, you get the LA Kings game where you don't have your best stuff and you still find a way to get a point. You have the San Jose Sharks game, which you respond really well with a bad outing against the Kings, but that was Joel Hofer saving and the players stepping up for him. Then you have the Anaheim Ducks where you don't have your best stuff and you still have that what's a two-goal game with an empty net late. 
our three goal game. I'm sorry, with two goals uh, ahead and then the empty netter. And then you get that one where Jordan Bennington steals the show. That's the type of stuff you need. And, and I love Jeremy Rutherford's piece in his article this morning saying the Blues basically just put a two and a half hour video together of why Tory Krug should be in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Huh. Because this team like looks lost without him on the ice, just like they looked lost without Ryan O'Reilly and like they look lost without Braden Shen on the ice. But the mainstay for this team, the only reason they can stay in hockey games is because they're goaltending or making those saves. But the problem is you can't rely on that because then you're just getting off to a start slowly because you're like, oh, well, Binner will save that for us. He should, but you need to be faster out of the gate and you need to be the one that's the aggressor rather than the passive player waiting for the team to put some pressure on. They have 11 goals in regulation over their last five games. That is not good enough. Yeah, that's where the problem's at right now. Jordan Bennington has been really good for them so far this year, but you cannot continue relying on that all year long. This is just not sustainable. The way that they're trying to play over their last five, you're not going to be able to consistently win against teams like Carolina and Edmonton and Nashville and Dallas and San Jose, Vegas. By the way, that's their schedule coming up. You just can't win this way consistently. So they've got to figure something out. And one thing that I liked last night, Alex, was... Buchnevich being paired with Jordan Cairo on that line. It seemed like they had some chemistry and without those two guys having chemistry last night, they don't win the game. So you, you had to have Bennington and you had to have the chemistry with Booch and Cairo. Here's what Craig Berube had to say about that group last night. Yeah, they're both uh, pretty dynamic players with the puck for sure. Um, they were both really good tonight. Buchnevich has played well against Winnipeg in the past. And Jordan just makes things happen with his ability. You know, he's um, got un- unreal speed and quickness and uh, great skill with the puck. Uh, they just, you know, like it was good. I, you know, I switched lines up in the third period, just trying to create something, get something going a little bit. Uh, and it, you know, it worked. We got a goal. Kuchnevich now has three points in his last three games, and he's looking more active overall around uh, just all over the ice. I like the idea of him being on the same line as Jordan Cairo. The speed that they have. Booch seems to have like a sixth sense for where Cairo is at all times. The pass that he had last night on Cairo's uh, goal was outstanding. And Jordan Cairo's just been a legitimate game changer for them this year. It, Tanner said it last year. Do you guys think that Cairo can be a better player than not prime Vladimir Tarasenko, but this version of Vladimir Tarasenko. Well, Tanner said that without the do you guys think. It was more Fair. of Kairou will be better than Vladimir Tarasenko. He had to make a statement, put a little exclamation point to it. Yeah. Well, Kairou has 12 points so far this year. He's been awesome. So he's almost one of those guys that if somebody is struggling, you want to pair him with Jordan Kairou right now. What did you think of that line last night? I liked it, and there's a reason that they were together with Braden Shen in the early portion of the season. And look, they lost Braden Shen, and then they had to switch things up, and they're just trying to find some chemistry right now. Frankly, that was one of the best lines last night for the Blues. It was the best. And, and, sure. pro- and props to Craig Berube and the coaching staff for making that change mid-game. He saw something that wasn't working. He took Barbashev off of that Russian line. They tried to get some offense. Um, but yeah, I love that line. And, and the thing about Jordan Cairo is that was his first goal scored in eight games. Like You had to go back to the Arizona Coyotes game. What was the last time he scored the goal? And like that's not good because you want him to be a guy who's consistent. You don't want him to disappear. But the thing about Jordan Cairo is he's still creating points. He's still creating offense and he's still getting scoring chances. He's just not burying them. And I talked about this with Rivs yesterday on our pregame show. The fact uh, when a forward is getting scoring chances, that's a good sign. Like think back to Zach Sanford and Sammy Blay. They weren't getting scoring chances. They were invisible on the ice. 
Jordan Kyrie is creating offense. So if I'm Craig Berube, which I'm not because I'm not that intelligent, that I'm keeping those pairs together and I'm finding a centerman that can play with them. Maybe it is Robert Thomas and you got to break him up with Vladimir Tarasenko. Maybe it's put Ivan Barbashev with those two. Or maybe Oscar Sundquist comes back and you can put Oscar Sundquist up there. But you got to find somebody to play there. And the other thing you really need is you got to have more depth to your offense. And hopefully that can create it for this Blues team. He's been great. Uh, right now, he's averaging four points per 60 minutes. Last year, for context, he was at two and a half. The year before that, two. This this is a legitimate breakout. Last year, he was he took his game to another level. Uh, this year, he's been playing at a borderline all-star level. And I know that the goal production hasn't quite been where you would expect it to be. That's coming. If he continues playing that this way, he'll be just fine when it comes to the goal production. 12 points in 11 games, point per game producer. Yeah, that'll play. That'll play for the St. Louis Blues. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Big two points for the Blues last night. They are back in action tomorrow night. Blues versus the Predators. Alex will have your pregame coverage right here on 101 ESPN at 6 o'clock. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we are going to be talking about uh, a big looming decision for the Blues with Jake Neighbors. Talk about what could go into that at 1130. But coming up next, are the Cardinals pulling a rope-a-dope? Because they're telling us they're not interested in these shortstops. Are you buying it? We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. They are St. Louis. It's BK and Ferrario. Live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. It does not make sense to say, we need an impact bat, we need a shortstop. Okay, that's one player. Well, yeah, if you're, look, if you're willing to give Carlos Correa $300 million, yes, yes, absolutely. The best thing for the Cardinals to do is say, we're going to do one of those two things in free agency. We don't actually care which one it is. We get the impact bat, we get the impact shortstop, meaning somebody who's who's providing more on defense but maybe less at the plate. The other gap, the other hole in our, our lineup, we're going to solve some other way, via trade, via internal solutions. And see what the market gives you. When Keith Law said that yesterday, I could hear all of St. Louis collectively going, oh, really? Really? And then John Mosellock spoke and it just came to a head in a big way last night with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. So Derek Gould and Katie, we both had quotes from John Mosellock at the general managers meetings yesterday. Here's some from Derek Gould that I think Cardinals fans will find interesting. He said in his piece over on the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, Mosellock said that the shortstop market has, quote, not been a focus for us to this point. And that pitching has been the Cardinals are reportedly exploring a wide spectrum of options at starter from free agents who could command a multi-year deal to some of the options that are abroad. He continued in the story. The Cardinals see, quote, their everyday club as pretty much set in quote, according to John Mosellock. He added that there is a lot of talent out there. There are also price points. And the Cardinals have always been an organization where if they can do it from within, they are going to do so. And one final kicker. This one comes from John Mosellock on Paul DeYoung. He says, quote, I feel like DeYoung is not getting a fair shake with what he has done. Remember, he had broken ribs last year. And from a hitter's perspective, that can be very uncomfortable. No one is arguing that he didn't get untracked last year, but... I do think it's a bit unfair to not have some optimism about his future based on his past. You don't have to go that far back to where he was a middle of the order hitter for us. There is reason for hope in the coming years. End quote. Again, that comes from John Mosellock. All of these quotes coming from Derek Gould's post, uh, a piece rather, in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. I don't believe you. 
That's my reaction to those comments. I don't believe it. Because last year, we were told early in the offseason, A, be patient, and B, don't expect too much from the Cardinals in the offseason. They they probably weren't going to add a whole lot of payroll, and there wasn't a whole lot of flexibility for them to go do something. Well, technically, they didn't do a whole lot Alex, the what did the Cardinals do last offseason? Well, they only made one move, BK. Who did they add? Third baseman. Nolan Arenado. Mr. 95%. A guy I can't that be is down a perennial MVP candidate. Yeah. Another so, gold glove winner. This is what Mo does. He sets expectations low because it is totally possible they don't sign a shortstop this offseason. That is very much in play and prepare yourself accordingly because it very well might happen. But if the market comes back to them, if it ends up in a place where they are comfortable, whether that be, and again, prepare yourself for this just in case it happens, whether that be Javi Baez or Trevor Story or Marcus Simeon, whoever it ends up being, they might be involved in that. They also might not. If those guys all end up getting six-plus-year deals at $30 million per year, I don't think the Cardinals are going to be getting them. So when I read this, that was my response was, okay, he's playing the leverage game right now. What was your reaction, Alex? Well, it wasn't the leverage game for me because as much as I hate to say it, I do truly believe that that's how he views this, pitching, pitching, and more pitching, and we'll figure it out with our own roster but if you have the answers to that, BK, then it's explain the Paul DeYoung one to me. Because I hear that quote from Paul DeYoung and I say, there's no BSing from Mo on that one. Because we've seen in the past, when a player struggles at a position, he will say, we need to be better in that position. First base, we need to be better. They went out and they got Paul Goldschmidt. Third base, we need to be better. They went out and got Nolan Arenado. The fact that he's sitting there and saying, well, I don't think Paul DeYoung's getting enough credit because he's got bad ribs and he had COVID understandably so that's an impact but it's two years of consistent inconsistent play totally with you i don't believe that is him trying to sway the market one direction and then swoop in and make a big move the other listen i'm not gonna hear it put lipstick on a pig like that that's Whoa. Not something I'm willing to do. Uh, it's been bad. The offensive production from Paul DeYoung over the last three years has been below league average. And really, you can go all the way back to 2018. He's only had one season of significantly above league average production at the plate. So, I mean, we have more examples of him being bad than we do of him being good as a hitter. And I'm not going to sit here and lie to you and suggest otherwise because that's me being a phony and I'm not willing to do that. However, what do you think... What are the alternatives? What else is he going to say about Paul DeYoung? He has two years left on his contract. I think that the Cardinals, if they can, would probably like to trade that deal if they can. They lose all leverage with everybody out there that could potentially be negotiating with them if they come out and say, hey, Paul DeYoung is bad and we don't think it's getting any better. Well, that certainly doesn't help his market value. So what else are you going to say about him? I think the thing that was kind of the eye-opener for me in terms of that quote for Paul DeYoung is the fact that he mentions, and I don't think he's used, he kind of uses it as an excuse, but he also kind of tries to use it as the, maybe this explains it kind of moment, is mentioning the broken ribs uh, again. Because we heard that coming into this past season with, well, he had COVID and he really wasn't the same. Mm-hmm. And then we hear it again on the broken ribs. And, and it could be true. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and tell you we know 100% what DeYoung's health was. <clears throat> but it, it, to me, that was the comment that was, okay, he had the broken ribs, we think maybe that was the issue, and then we'll give him another shot because we still think he can be that guy. He doesn't have to mention the broken ribs. He could just have said, you know, he had a bad year, but you know he's not that far removed from being a uh, 30-home run guy. But why not mention it? It very well may be legitimate. 
it may be legitimate, but I, I think w- mentioning that to me says, okay, maybe that was legitimate. We still believe in him. I, I think that's how I view it is that the Cardinals, based on the comments I read from Mo, is that they still believe in Paul DeYoung, kind of what you're saying, Alex, because I could totally see them not signing a shortstop instead of adding into the pitching. And then when you make these comments, add those comments uh, of Paul DeYoung, and then I see Gersh talking about Edmundo Sosa and the piece on The Athletic, makes me really believe that they have faith in what they have internally in shortstop rather than looking on the exterior market. And it could be total. Bl- it could be a total bluff. I'm with you. It could be a total bluff. Yeah. But the way I read into it now is that it looks like they are content with what they have at shortstop and don't want to, uh, not necessarily don't want to go at a shortstop, but aren't all in on adding a shortstop. Bothers, I think that's true. What bothers me is the quote, our everyday club is pretty much set. And I, I understand that he's done that's that That's the one I think before. is just a, a blatant lie. I, yeah. I do not believe him in, in, in that regard. But then hearing him follow that up with pitching, that to me screams, this guy's going to spend money on pitchers and he's not going to spend money on a big bat. That's the one that I'm really curious about. If that ends up being the case, I think they learned all of the wrong lessons from last year. Yeah. Like, I'm just going to say that because the way that they were able to supplement their pitching staff last year, the way they stabilized everything was them going out and getting guys that other teams just flat out didn't believe in anymore. TJ McFarland, Luis Garcia, um, Justin Miller for a time was a guy that they counted on in, in some high leverage spots. And then Jay Happ, John Lester, and Wade LeBlanc. Those guys, other teams didn't value them at all. John Lester was traded for a guy that the Cardinals just wanted to get off of the 40 man in, in Lane Thomas. Uh, you look at what the Twins got in return for Jay Happ. They literally released or outright put on waivers uh, John Gant. He's a free agent now. So they basically got two months of John Gant for Jay Happ. They didn't value him at all. And now you're going to go out there and spend all of your money that's available on starting pitching? That doesn't make sense because you have this defense that gives you an advantage that nobody else in baseball can play with. And now you're not going to take advantage of them. You're going to go spend on that. It, it just doesn't make sense. So maybe this is me believing that they're smarter than that. And there's a little bit of that that's going into the way that I'm reading these. I I just I, I think he's lying to us. I, I don't think that he feels the need to tell us the truth on what exactly their plan is at the beginning of the offseason, because frankly, he doesn't need to. Um, and I do wonder what their plan is moving forward. But if they go that route of adding a significant salary to pitching and do not add a whole lot at all to improve the offense, they are going to have legitimate questions to be asked going into spring training. And that will suggest to me that they are all in on Nolan Gorman and Juan Yepes. And if those guys fail, if they struggle, that's on the front office and they will be roundly criticized as a result. But see, I, I think in terms of looking at Gorman and Yepes, I don't know if there's going to, uh, yeah, they're going to be criticized, but I don't have as big a concern because heading into the deadline, that's when they should be able to make the move to upgrade that if that's the issue. What about the first four months? This was a lesson from last year is you've got to be able to act quickly, and I have no reason to believe that they will. I get it. That That is the depth in the injury issue, which is what cost them this past year. But I, if they're going to say, hey, we're going to go spend money on pitching because we want to have a really good, we want to be have the depth of pitching, which we didn't have last year, and just let the offense see if these guys can develop. Shortstop is the one where I would really have the big concern. But if you're going to tell me Gorman, Yepes, you want to get them reps as the DH, I'm totally fine with that. Give that a couple of months. And then if the, if it struggles and they're not ready, then it, to me it's easy for them to go fix it. It's just a matter of will Mo pull the trigger there's, and do so. There's no easy way but to fix it. You yeah, can't what's get the an out? De- getting depth. That's the thing. That's what I'm saying is if you don't add the short stop then there's bigger question marks but if you add a shortstop and then have the pitching then i'm totally fine oh, you're it saying that if they add the shortstop and let you and gorman be the bench and dh positions 
then you then they can be successful. I don't think you you're adding significant pitching and a shortstop. Yeah, you're doing one or the other. And if you're going to go pitching the way that Mo is painting it, it's is this offseason's going to be. It sounds like they're either going to spend money in the international market. They're going to sign a guy like Marcus Stroman, who who would be great. Don't get me wrong, I would love to see him on this roster. But then you're going into the season saying Paul DeYoung, Edmundo Sosa, and Tommy Edmond, those are our utility infielders. Nolan Gorman, Juan Yepes, Lars Nupar, those are our bench slash D. H options and we'll figure it out from there and I think that is a massive mistake because if you didn't learn anything from the postseason home runs big hits offense is going to win you a World Series if you just go out there and spend money on pitching you're essentially just going to be the Milwaukee Brewers this season let's carry this over let's carry this over to the other side because I I feel like what we are talking about right now is a philosophical difference between the three of us and let's try to hash this out on the other side here on 101 ESPN giving you the picture the real big St. Louis sports picture it's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield studio on 101 ESPN you missed it there is breaking news we'll get to back to the cardinals here in just a moment but jake neighbors has officially been sent back down to juniors uh there is also going to be a doug armstrong press conference coming up at one o'clock we will carry that live on your home for the blues 101 espn so stay tuned for that we don't know what it's for i would imagine part of it at least is about jake neighbors um but i i do wonder if there is more to this than just that that is speculation but just my guess alex what do you think of the decision to send down Jake Neighbors. It makes sense. Um, You know, I was on our program a couple of weeks ago and I said I'm pretty confident, nearly 100% confident that he's not going back to his juniors team, but things have changed. COVID has taken an impact on this team and the play has dropped off a little bit from those first four or five games to where they were rolling four lines on a consistent basis. Well, it's gotten to the point now where the offense has dried up because players have been out of the lineup and Jake Neighbors has found himself playing less than 10 minutes. If you go back through his last five games against pretty impactful opponents, Winnipeg, six minutes and five seconds, Anaheim, nine minutes and 32 seconds, San Jose, 923, Colorado, 922, Kings, 755. The, 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 the saying all along around Jake Neighbors has been, we're going to do what's best for Jake and his future. Mm-hmm. And at 19 years old, playing seven and a half minutes a night on a fourth line where you're not seeing crucial minutes isn't what's best for him, at least in my opinion. Now, maybe others believe it, it is having him a part of the NHL roster skating with these guys on a daily basis. But I would much rather have a guy who looks like he could be a top six winger, a power forward, a goal scorer, matches the Blues identity to a T. I'd much rather have him go back to his junior team with the confidence of knowing that he can play in the NHL and go back and dominate the Western Hockey League. Go back and score 30 goals in 60 plus games and then come into next camp next year where there might be more opportunities for you to play in a top six role. Go and do that because he's just not going to be able to reach his potential this season on the fourth line playing seven minutes. I'm going to have to go back through and look at this because I, I am curious uh, what it, what the answer is. He played one shift last night in the third period, mm-hmm. and it was for a total of eight seconds. He basically got on the ice, got back off the ice. That was it. I think that's been a trend where the Blues are cutting down their fourth line or their yeah their fourth line in the third period. And that's basically been the case for almost every game so far this season. Because they've been down. And he's been a guy that has been getting cut out of that rotation in the third period. And you can't have that 
with neighbors. If he's going to be up in the NHL club, I need him playing crunch time minutes. I need to learn how he reacts to certain situations. If he's not going to be in those spots, then yeah, it makes more sense for him to be down in in the juniors where he's going to be playing 15, 17 minutes per night next year, come back ready to go to camp. And maybe he's able to earn a bigger role on this team. Like, like a Clem Costin, for example, I think he could come back next year and be in a role similar to what you're seeing from Costin right now. It was good for him to get up here. I think we learned a lot about where he's at right now in his development and it's just going to take a little more time. And yeah. that's fine. There's nothing wrong with a 19-year-old taking a little bit more time. He looked good. He showed you flashes. And Craig Bruby loves the kid. Absolutely mm-hmm. adores him. So I, he's going to have a bright future here in St. Louis. Just going to take a little more time than 2021. Yeah, I went back and looked at Robert Thomas's time on ice um, in his first nine games back in the 18-19 season. And look, he was one of those guys that they decided to keep up here. And there was a little bit of some similarities with Robert Thomas. But the difference was they sat him for four games. And then when he came back... His ice time jumped to 11, 18, 15, 41, 12, 55, 13, 55. That's not going to be Jake neighbors yeah. here. So that's part of it. But the other part of it too, BK is this is a, this is a roster and a salary cap situation right now for the blues because of the COVID impact. And look, Jake neighbors is making $866,000 a year on an entry level contract. If you keep him up here it might handcuff you a little bit. If you send him back, you might have a little bit more wiggle room in terms of guys. I don't that think it's can... money related because you're going to have to replace him on the roster with somebody. Yeah, you're going to have to replace him. But I do think that 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 it, it, it's going to play into it at least a little bit because they do have money situations right now. And are you going to keep eight hundred sixty six thousand dollars for a fourth liner? When you could have a cheaper a guy on the fourth line, Clifford. I understand that, but then you're keeping Clifford with a veteran presence there. Yeah. A lot. If this was a pie chart, ninety percent of this pie would be because he needs to go play top line minutes. But I do think there's a little that goes into this as well of salary cap to where you can maneuver players and have a little bit more flexibility sure. than what you did prior to this. Yeah, part of the I, the flexibility is definitely a portion of that. That's a really good point because if you do keep him up, you can't send him down. Whereas with a guy like uh, Dakota Joshua, you can send him up and down throughout the season, and that allows you more flexibility. I'm not sure money, if it if it changes a whole lot, but flexibility-wise, it changes a ton to be able to go that route. All right, let's talk about the Cardinals, because if you missed it in the last segment, we were talking a little bit about John Mozeliak's comments on the shortstop market to Derek Gould. He told Derek Gould that the shortstop market has not been a focus for the Cardinals to this point. Rather, they've been focusing on the pitching side of things, and he also added that, quote, our everyday clients club is pretty much set and had some glowing things to say about Paul DeYoung. I don't believe it. I'm not buying it. I think that this is whether you want to call it a lie, intentionally misleading, whatever it is. I think this is his typical. We're going to set expectations low in the beginning of the offseason, and then we'll see where it goes from here. And if the market works out for us, that makes a lot of sense. The reason why I'm not buying it is because they're going to spend money somewhere. And if you're telling me this team's going to learn the lesson of 2020 or 2021, rather that Hey, we need more pitching. Okay, that makes a lot of sense to me. I get that. I think that's definitely a lesson that they learned. If you're going to tell me, though, that the lesson they learned is that we need more pitching and we got to spend on it, that makes no sense to me. Because the way that you were able to increase your pitching performance last year was with guys who nobody else wanted. And you were able to exploit, for you, what is a market inefficiency. Guys that throw strikes. Other teams don't want them because the ball is going to be put in play and then it exploits their defense and their defense is no good because they focus so much on the power and the hitting side of things and they've got all these shifts going on. The Cardinals don't have to do all that stuff. They're very good defensively so they can get away with this. If they're going to spend their money on pitching, I just don't know that I understand 
how they learned that lesson from this season, Alex. It doesn't well, make sense to me. It doesn't make sense. And look, you can get cheap options on the market, but I think you want to go a little different than just go out there and get a John Lester and Jay Happ if you have the opportunity to. I think if you're going to go this route, you know, you did learn that you can't trust Michaelis and Hudson and Flaherty and Wayno for an entire season. I lied. You can trust Wayno for an entire season. Rather than just get some cheap options that you could throw in there, if you spend money on one good pitcher, it changes things a little bit for you. Like if you go get Marcus Stroman, that's different than adding John Lester and Jay Happ. But I don't, I'm kind of on the other end of this one with you. Maybe this is the philosophical oh, difference as you okay. mentioned. Because I think the lesson that you're not learning here is that pitching is not what is going to win you games once it comes to big time. It's going to be you have to have the bats. And the bats went cold for this team when they I absolutely needed that, it. Actually. Yeah, but I, I think the difference is, though, is, is you're looking at what they didn't learn is you could get cheap pitchers to help this team. And I think the bigger thing that they didn't learn is you got to go get bats. Yeah, I think it's both. I think they're tied. If you could afford to get a big bat and a, a really good, like Marcus Stroman starting pitcher, I think you go to both. But it's about the allocation of resources right now. And let's say they've got $30 million available to them. Well, how do we best use this $30 million that is here for us for 2022? What is the best use of this money? And if the answer to that is the best use is spending $20 million on a starter and spending the other $10 million on relievers, I I, I just don't buy it. I, I don't think that's the best way to utilize that money. Um, I think instead it would make a lot more sense to go the route that you're talking about, Alex. Even if it's $10 million, you don't have to. I'm not saying that it is a requirement this offseason for them to go upgrade shortstop because there are a lot of teams across baseball that do not have an offensive producing shortstop. You can win that way, but you have to improve this offense. You have to go out there and get a market improvement, whether it be a lefty bat that can platoon at second base or a lefty bat coming off of the bench uh, that is going to be your fourth outfielder an Eddie Rosario, for example. A guy that is coming in at like $10 million, those guys are going to be available readily this offseason. Yeah. If you're going to add pitching, and it, maybe it's a $10 million starter, and you go get a $10 million bat, and then you use the other $10 million in bullpen arms, that makes a lot of sense to me. I could get behind that kind of a plan. I just can't get behind $20 million to a starter, $10 million to relievers, and boom, we're putting all of the pressure on our young guys. So Newt Bar, Yepes, Gorman, that's going to be your bench yeah. next year. If you go that route, Tanner, uh, you have no other alternatives. You're going into the season with the offense next year being in the same place that the pitching was this year. If things go awry, well, good luck. Eventually, hopefully, we've got other answers that emerge. Maybe there's a Wade LeBlanc offensively that's out there for us. But if you are wrong on Yepes, Gorman, and Newt Bar, and those guys are not prepared for the role that's going to be given to them and playing more because they want to play the matchups next year, ooh, buddy, you are counting on them the way you counted on Johan Oviedo and Jake Woodford and Matthew Liberatore uh, all last year. I'm not prepared to do that. You've got to add more to this offense. In my mind, I'm with you on that, Alex. Yeah, I, I kind of agree. I do want to see Gorman Yepes get a shot, but you have to have someone there or two guys there that can support that in case that plan does fail. And that's why I agree with you. You cannot just go all in on pitching and that there we are. We're done with it. We believe that these guys are ready because that's putting a lot of eggs in one basket of a lot of guys that don't have any experience. And that's kind of what they did this year. I mean, Oviedo had seasoning a little bit of the big leagues from the 2020 shortened season. But other than that, not really. John Gant was more of a bullpen guy. You relied on him. Daniel Ponce de Leon had been inconsistent throughout his career, and you wanted to rely on him coming in the rotation. 
to begin the year. So I'm with you. It cannot just be we have to focus on adding pitching. I, I do believe, though, if they're not going to add at the shortstop position or in terms of adding just a big bat in general, it makes me truly believe that they think Dylan Carlson's going to take that next step in becoming that fourth impact bat for them. I think that's really how they'll believe, or that's how they will view him in terms of who's going to be that fourth impact bat that's going to help this offense. They think Dylan Carlson will take the next step. We've talked about it. We believe he could be a guy that could hit 25 home runs for this team. He could be a solid, in my opinion, two or five hitter for this offense if you're not going to add that impact uh, shortstop or impact bat in general. Well, And I want to be clear, like uh, if they were to come back and say Paul DeYoung, Edmundo, Sosa, Tommy Edmond, those are our shortstop options this year. I'm not going to hate that. I'm with you. As long as they go get a big bat that can be in the middle of the lineup that could be your DH slash fourth outfielder. That's what you need. And look, I hope they go after Marcus Stroman because I would love to see a rotation with another guy kind of backing up Jack Flaherty and Dakota Hudson and letting the younger guys continue to develop. And then midseason when injuries hit, that's where you bring these guys up. I just don't want the commitment this offseason to be. We feel our team is ready to compete for a World Series. Look at what they did last year. We're implementing all of this youth. They're ready to take this next step. And if that's the case, I think you're going to take a massive step back. Yeah, I, I want a Marcus Stroman. I just don't want a Marcus Stroman at the expense of a bat. Like if if I can get Marcus Stroman and uh, relievers or my other alternative is trading for Sean Manaya, for example, or signing one of Steven Matz uh, for $10 million and getting the re- same relievers, the exact same relievers, and also adding Eddie Rosario, Nelson Cruz, whoever that big bat is that you're looking for for about $10 million, I would rather have option B all day long because that at least gives me another out for the offense. That is that is what they didn't do last year by bringing in a guy like Jake Odorizzi. They missed. And if they would have had maybe not exactly Odorizzi, but one of those veteran starters, last year would have gone completely differently when they got into June. It would have been a different situation for them. But instead, they don't go out there and get that veteran starter at the end of spring training and uh they're stuck. And they had no answers until they had guys go through waivers and they were able to find Wade LeBlanc and Jay Happ and John Lester. But it took a long time to get there. And the result was them playing in the wild card game and having their season come to an end as opposed to them potentially competing for the division. So I, I hope they don't make that same mistake with the offense this year. That's that's where I'm at with that. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, I want to ask Jesse Rogers about this. Does he believe what John Mosaylock is saying, that they are not in on the shortstop market and that they might end up focusing almost exclusively on the pitching side of things? We'll talk to Jesse Rogers about that at 12 o'clock. But next, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Let's start out with this one from the 314. Hey, guys, college basketball started up last night. Were there any takeaways that you had either on the local schools or some of the big national games that we saw? Alex, did you watch much last night? I know you were doing your pre and post, so I have to imagine you were pretty busy. I I was kind of focusing in on that. I was flipping back and forth uh, through a couple of the local games. Look, uh, Illinois is going to be dominant this year. I mean, to to do that without three of their best players on the the court, and I understand it was a bad team, but still dominant, so they're going to be... They look like a Final Four team, although I said that last year, and we all know what happened. Hmm. Thanks a lot, Loyola. Am I right, T-Bone? Yeah. But uh, 
Bad draw, man. I didn't, draw. I didn't see a whole lot of Mizzou, so I'm curious your thoughts on that. But I did see Slu, and Slu looks good. But Slu, I think, is still going to run into the problems they always do in the A-10 and run into some really tough teams. But, man, they can shoot this year. Yuri Collins looks like a stud. But I, I didn't see a whole lot of Mizzou. I saw a lot of people talking about didn't seem like they could shoot as well still. Uh, so the, the like first 10 minutes of the game, I was like, oh, so we're doing the same thing again. <laughs> you can't, still can't shoot. That's going to be great. Can't great, wait. Great. Uh, then the next 30 minutes were like, oh, so this is a very different team in a million different ways. They're going to run a lot. So they're fast. Yeah, they've got some athletes on this team. I don't know how good they are. They might end up under 500 on the season. But they're going to be interesting to watch. They've got some guys that I really like. Ronnie DeGray is a name that if you're a Mizzou fan, you should definitely get to know. He's 6'6". He's big. He's just like a solid basketball player. I know that's a really weird thing to say, but he shoots it pretty well. He rebounds it really well. He has a pretty good sense for running the floor. He's not very athletic. He's almost like a souped up. Uh, you remember Kevin Purrier? Yeah. He's a, he's like a souped up Kevin Puryear. I liked Kevin. Puryear. So he's he's a solid player overall. Javon Pickett had a really nice night for him. Uh, Boogie Coleman shot it pretty well. They're an interesting team. Amari Davis was a guy who ended up having a pretty decent game overall. They don't have any clear cut. This is their number one scoring threats. They don't have a guy yet. And I'm not sure they have a point guard, which seems problematic. Yeah. But overall, they were better than I expected last night for the majority of the game. So credit where it's due. They, they were solid. And they went up against a team that's uh, not very good. So we'll learn more about them whenever they play SMU M-I-Z. two weeks from now. Z-O-U. Tanner, what was your takeaway from the Illini? Uh, you know, good win for me because of, like you mentioned, they were without their top players. Cabello was out. Uh, Frazier and on? Coburn. Fra- oh, yeah. Frazier was out. Coburn's out. Uh, Three-point shooting, I think, is going to be concerned for them because they lost. I can't remember the kid's name. Left-handed shooter. I think Miller was his name. Transferred to LSU, and I think they started a game like two for 13 from three. The other thing for me, the biggest takeaway for me, and this was a little bit concerning moving forward, is very loose with the basketball. Very loose. A lot of turnovers, a lot of – and it's not the ones where they're just trying to force it in because it's a blowout game. It was the – Pockets were picked, not strong on the ball. That's something to me. Coleman Hawkins, though, he he was really impressive. One of the forwards, I think he transferred from somewhere. I can't remember where. He was very impressive last night, and I expect him to have a big year to add to this uh, group. But I, I think, like you said, very good team. They're going to go on a run. I expect them maybe not to win the Big Ten this year, but be one of the top five teams in it. I did watch a little bit of that Kentucky-Duke uh, game last night, the late version of those, and... Duke fighting back the way that they did. Man, that team, surprise, surprise, is going to be very good. And what was the final outcome from, from Kansas and Michigan State? Because the one that I Kansas, Kansas is really good. Because Michigan State kept it close in the first half. That's what I was watching. And then I was flipping back and forth with SLU and, Mizzou, or SLU and Illinois. Yeah, uh, KU's really good. Yeah. Like they've got all Americans coming off of the bench for them this year. Uh, they're going to be awesome. So we'll probably surprise, surprise, once again, like another, they they're going to be great. Another team to keep an eye on UCLA. They made the final four run last year. They returned every starter. They added, uh, I can't remember his name, added a big man that transferred from, I want to say it was Georgetown maybe. 
they are going to be really solid. How'd our, how'd our favorite boy, Timmy, do over in Gonzaga? <laughs> I didn't watch any of that no. one, to be honest with you. But, he, I mean, he's going to be good. He's, he's a very good basketball player. I was player. so happy when he lost last year. <laughs> 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. We'll get some more likely to happen in about 15 minutes or so. But Jesse Rogers, MLB insider for ESPN and ESPN.com, he's going to join us next. I want to ask him what he's hearing on the Cardinals out of the GM meetings. Does he believe they're really going to be focusing on pitching this offseason? We'll ask Jesse next on 101 ESPN. This is exactly where you want to be listening to us. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. He's Alex Ferrario, that's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. We've been talking a lot this morning about John Mosellock's comments from the general manager's meetings. He told Derek Gould of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, the Cardinals see their everyday club as, quote, pretty much set. He also added that there's a lot of talent out there. There are also price points, and we have always been an organization where it, uh, if we can do it from within, we are going to, and told Derek Gould, but John Mosellock did, that the shortstop market has, quote, not been a focus for the Cardinals to this point and that they are focusing most of their attention on the pitching side of things. Jesse Rogers is an MLB insider for ESPN and ESPN.com. He joins us now via the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Want to get his thoughts on both John Mosellock's comments and what is taking place right now out at the GM meetings. Jesse, thanks so much for hopping on with us today, man. What's been the biggest uh, scuttlebutt so far out there at the GM meetings? Well, I mean, the labor negotiations, right? I mean, that's sort of the elephant in the room. And GMs are basically saying it's business as usual right now. But that's going to change towards the end of this month. And and obviously, there may not be any business next month. So that's kind of like the underlying theme here. Um, And the shortstop market is certainly the other thing. Uh, Scott Boris is going to do his State of the Union address, or should I call it the State of Scott Boris's client, (laughs) uh, today. today, And we'll get a little bit better idea. Now he has Marcus Simeon in his camp as well. Seager, you know, so he uh, annually sort of runs the free agent market. Um, As usual, I don't expect anything early to happen. Uh, Been asking a lot of GMs if if agents are getting a little antsy because of the potential lockout. Do do players want to sign? But it's really no different than in the past. Players always want to sign early. But these these off seasons don't go like the NBA or or NFL. They 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 really you know get drawn out. So um, I think it is business as usual this month. And and what that means is not a lot of action because there just usually isn't a lot of action. But a lot of conversations going on and a lot of people wondering if there'll be a winter meetings, if there'll be any transactions next month. So a lot of moving parts this off season when you when you include the CBA. Uh, you know, labor problem right now. Yeah, Jesse, if you don't mind me honing in on that CBA, because I saw a report earlier today that said that apparently it uh, already has gotten nasty between the uh, players' side and the front office, the uh, MLB side. I mean, is this thing going to just kind of just down spiral quickly in the next couple of weeks? Probably, probably, especially towards the end of the month as we approach uh, the, the, the expiration on December 1st. Uh, it's just, they're just not, anywhere close to being on the same page. Um, just my own personal opinion, I've, and I'm pretty up on all this stuff. I've, I've mostly been a pro-union guy. Like, I understand the players have short careers. They're the, they're the money makers um, in terms of bringing the fans, right? The owners don't do any of that stuff. They just own the team. So I've been – most of us are probably on the, a lot of times on the player side, I think, because they're the stars of this thing. But this time around, I'm, I'm more – I'm sort of leaning towards the league. I think the league wants to at least, if they don't want to meet the players halfway, they want to meet them a quarter of the way. 
and I'm not sure they're getting much um, response back uh, from the union in terms of meeting them somewhere in the middle or somewhere uh, like that, if, if you get what I mean. I, they, they, I think the union wants a big win in this thing. I think that a stall tactic is part of their strategy. Um, the owners put forth a, a proposal that isn't great for the players, but it's a starting point, and they're not they're not really responding off of that. They're just coming back with the same, we want the kitchen sink type thing. So, uh, you know, that could be their strategy to sort of push this thing, wait, 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 get the players, you know, excited once you hear the word lockout and, you know, they become even more unified, unified. And then, you know, maybe the deal gets struck in January or something. So right now I'm sort of leaning towards the league, um, you know, negotiating in a little bit better faith, but, but it's not like either side is giving a lot to, to the other side in terms of breaking this, uh, you know, sort of dam, so to speak, and, and, and getting on to all the little issues that need to be figured out. Can't wait for the next three months of talking about labor disputes once again. It's going to be great. I, I know that yeah. the same thing is true for you, Jesse. All right, let's talk. While we still have an off season to talk about, let's do so. Uh, you heard what I mentioned about John Mosaylock, the comments that he made to Derek Gould yesterday you're you're talking to people around the league. Are you hearing the Cardinals connected to the shortstop market, or do you buy what John Mosellock is selling that they're really not in on that market? Yeah, first of all, I think John uh, said that to Derek. I was standing like 10 feet away. I wish it was eavesdropping better. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, I, I, I am buying it to a certain extent because I'm not hearing a lot about about the Cardinals. They're, they're one of the teams, the White Sox, the team I cover in Chicago, that you know they, they work pretty close to the vest. Um uh, so you never know. Like it's, we didn't we didn't necessarily have that Nolan Arenado thing locked down, and then boom, it happens, right? So um, and even Goldschmidt. Um, so I, I, it wouldn't shock me if if they got in it, you know, and whatever. But when a, when a when an executive goes on the record that publicly and says we're not really interested, you do have to take that at face value many times, right? And so I I, I believe him. I don't know why they wouldn't be. This is Yachty and Adam Wainwright's last year. You want all those gold gloves, but not not at short. Get all these nice OPSs, but not at short, right? There is an opening with all sorts of star players available. Yes, it's going to cost you. Maybe he's you know sort of driving down the market by saying it publicly. Who knows? Um, I mean, Marcus Simeon would be a great fit there because he's a little bit older, and you guys are trying to win now. So you wouldn't have to break the bank three hundred million for someone like that. He's a great citizen, solid guy, put up numbers. Like I, I feel like that would be a nice if the, if he would sign for three years, get you through this little period here, and maybe you know and, and help out. So I believe him, but I'm not sure why he would be saying that unless there's some strategy behind it. They will focus on pitching. You know, you know, everyone knows what happened last year with the injuries. You can never have enough pitching. And here's the other thing: you, every team does a calculus about you know, how many wins they can, they can project for the next season and, 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 and the other teams in their division. I mean, I can tell you right now, it's a two team division. It's a two team division. I know that you say that in November, anything can change, but you tell me how Cincinnati, Chicago, or Pittsburgh is going to compete. I, I can't see a, an Avenue. So when you're down to two teams, you don't need to go past the, the luxury tax threshold and sign three guys. You know, you, you're pretty much in the playoffs now if you're the Cardinals, barring something crazy. So all of that plays a mix. Why should we sign this guy when we saw the Braves win get win it all with 88 wins? So all these things are part of it. Think about the AL East. Each of those teams needs to one-up the other one, needs to get that much better because that's a competitive division. The NL Central right now is not. 
I did want to ask a little bit of a follow-up on the shortstop market because you covered Javi Baez up there in Chicago for a number of years. And yesterday we talked to your former colleague, Keith Law, and he said, hey, you know, a guy that might be of interest to the Cardinals if he ends up having to settle on that one-year deal would be Javi Baez. He has some things that he needs to fix, obviously, with his approach. He needs to be a little more selective, and who knows if that's ever going to be the case for him. Do you get the sense that there is a chance he has to settle for a one-year deal? And if so, how do you think he would fit with the Cardinals? I actually think he would fit pretty well. I, I do think he would fit pretty well. Um, but let's go to the first question because that's the, that's the tougher one. Sure. There, he, he, uh, he, none of these guys, but I know him very well, no way wants to sign a one-year deal. I mean, these guys have been waiting for this day through the pandemic. Uh, and when you talk about bias, through contract negotiations with the Cubs, Sort of, you know, and then the pandemic hits, and then he doesn't get the contract, and then boom, and he's traded, and now finally free agency, and he's got to do it all over again in 22. It's possible because the market is so flooded, but it's the last resort. It's the last resort. So even if it's three years, you know, instead of five or six, I, I think all these guys want the security. A lot of them have been waiting a long time, and then add the pandemic in the middle of it, you know, kind of hurt their. It hurt a lot of guys' trajectory, including bias. Like, he was on this $200, $150 million trajectory. Pandemic hits, he has a bad year, and then he just never gets back at it. So I do think he'd be a good fit, but I don't think he wants a one-year deal. So on the pitching side of this one, Jesse, you know, we've heard names. I mean, Max Scherzer, of course, is at the top of this list. We've heard Marcus Stroman connected to the Cardinals. We've heard somebody uh, on the lower level of the market, like a Steven Matz connected to the Cardinals. Are there pitchers that stick out to you that should be a priority for John Moselock and company to target? You named a couple there, and I, I think the, the, the range is very wide. That, it's a wide net. That, that's the phrase we use. It's a wide net. For pitching and you know you can you can be patient and snare someone late you can be aggressive and get someone like there's so many different ways to get it done and um you know i i don't think that um you know look people have said you know scherzer to st louis would be great for one year but he's looking for that big multi-year deal so i don't uh, i think they're going to keep it nimble and try to win this year for obvious reasons and not get you know bogged down in a huge huge contract so let's you know, look at those names you mentioned, and maybe there is a pitcher with a one-year deal uh, uh, interested in, in that sense, or a mid-level guy that's not going to cost much for three years. That's 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 kind of what I'm seeing from the Cardinals. Um, although another, you know, ace type. You know, I'm I'm just thinking about the Cardinals. They're on the verge of something special, and a and a one or two big moves or three or four small moves could really put them over the top. Because again, you could pencil them into October. So. I think it's a wide net for, for pitching, and that's why you hear sort of a wide range of names. Jesse, a guy that I've been talking a lot about because the A's seem to be going into a reset right now is yeah. Sean Manaya, the starting pitcher. He's 29 years old. He has had some injury issues, of course, in his past, but he was excellent for the A's last year. What do you think the cost would be in terms of prospect return for a guy like Manaya, who has one year left on his deal, the projections say about $10 million in arbitration, what do you think it's going to cost prospect-wise to get a guy like that? Yeah, it's, it's not terrible. It won't be terrible when, when you when you get that guy in that last year of a deal. You have to give up a couple couple guys. Um, if they're top ten guys, it's it's like seven and eight, you know, in your in your farm system. Um, maybe you get if it's one for one, you get a top, you know, number five or something. It's it's not over the top. You're not giving up your best prospects for one year of Sean Manaya. So it could be three guys at the at, you know ten or below. It could be two guys 
between five and ten. It's that kind of thing. And um, and and by the way, you asked me sort of the storylines. Like, there's no doubt Oakland's one of them as well. It it it's, it sounds like a fire sale. Like everybody's lining up, and that that is that really you know it's not good for agents that have free agents because first and foremost teams will look to trade before they spend that big money, and so I think if anybody if any team makes some early trades, it could be Oakland because it does feel like there's going to be a little bit of a feeding frenzy, and some teams can fill holes just from them. And then you, you look to the free agent market. So Cardinals are good at that kind of stuff. I could see a deal like that with Sean Manaya. That makes sense. Um, again, the wide the wide net that they cast, knowing that you know they had those injuries last year, you can never have enough starting pitching or relieving. I think it makes sense that Moselec said that publicly. That's their focus, though. Um, man, maybe a shortstop falls in their lap because it would really put them over the top. Final question for Jesse Rogers of ESPN.com. Follow him on Twitter at Jesse Rogers ESPN. Uh, Jesse, the other team I wanted to ask you about when it comes to trades, and I legitimately don't know where they're at right now, is Cleveland. Uh, they have a couple of players that could be intriguing on the trade market. Uh, where are they at right now in your mind? Do you think they're going to comp- try to compete again next year, or is there a soft reset coming once again in Cleveland? I think it's somewhere in the middle. I don't think they're going to do a, a, a complete reset. I think they're going to try to push their chips in a little bit, but but that, for them, it's never all in. It's never all in. So, so you think I'm Jose Ramirez sure. sticks? Yeah, right, exactly. I think he sticks and maybe even gets an extension. I, I think that's possible. That's something I've heard here at the meeting. So I think they're going to sort of do it the Cleveland way, and they've always been competitive. Look, is Terry Francona, assuming he's back and everything, is he is is he going to go through a, a reset, a rebuild? You know, I don't know. But that division is getting better by the day. I mean, everybody loves the Tigers, and they're probably going to get one of those shortstops. Kansas City is definitely, you know, sort of coming out of a little bit of a rebuild. They think so. I don't know. That's a good question about Cleveland. Um, I don't I don't think they want to do a reset. I think they they feel like they figured out a way to compete while doing it with, with uh, without spending a lot of money, especially on the mound. They've got that, you know, Chicago Cubs hired away one of their player development guys because of the way Cleveland develops pitchers. So if you can win on the mound, you have a chance. You know, you have a chance. I think that's still the way Cleveland's going to go and, and keep Jose Ramirez. Jesse, we always appreciate the time, man. Thanks so much for giving us a little insight onto, into what's going on over there in the general manager's meetings. And hopefully we'll be able to talk with them about a winter meetings with you coming up here in the next month or so. Yeah, you got it, guys. Yeah, call anytime. The end of the month is going to be interesting, and that's kind of my my uh, my assignment right now is stay on the labor stuff. And it's uh, not exactly fun, but it's something at least. <laughs> awesome. well, well, good we luck with it, Jesse. Jesse. Thanks, man. All right, guys. Got it. That's Jesse Rogers here on 101 ESPN. So I did a little digging last night. Alex, you know I'm all in on the Sean Mania sweepstakes, right? I'm trying to find us a cheaper pitcher so that way we don't have to spend all of our money in that market instead of going out and getting a bat i'm just glad you're not uh, following up with what he said about the royals no no we don't need to talk about them so i was trying to figure out okay what's the cost gonna be here what are we talking about because if on hell rondon maybe if it's gonna be something like you got to give up gorman or walker or win or Baez, something like that i'm not interested <laughs> i love i love a guy like sean Manaya. i don't need to be giving up one of the top prospects to get that in return so i went through some of the recent trades for pitchers that were on one-year deals the final year of arbitration and uh, i tried to find guys that also had a little bit of an injury history but that had reason for optimism that had a, a strong pedigree so the guys that i used as comps were steven matz Jake Odorizzi, Steven Matz. Jaime Garcia, 
and Drew Smiley. Those were the four, within the last like five years, pitchers that made sense to me in terms of a comp for what you could potentially be getting uh, at this point in his career with Sean Maniah. So here's what those trades ended up recouping for the other team. Matt's got three top 30 prospects for the Blue Jays, all from 20 to 30 in that range. Any names that are recognizable on it? Not really. I mean, it's it's all guys that are in that, like for the Cardinals, for example, players in this range, uh, Julio E. Rodriguez. I don't know the gentleman. Not sure. uh, Juan Yepes, Ali Sanchez. Um, Ali Sanchez. John Torres. So you're talking about that range of okay. prospects. Guys that, frankly, for the the casual fan, you probably have never heard of, and understandably so, other than, of course, Juan Yepes. I'm just trying to, to measure if there's a trade that, you know, like bit the team that traded him away, sure. like they do the Cardinals when they trade them away. Uh, Jake Odorizzi got one top 25 prospect and a borderline MLB player in return. Jaime Garcia got the fifth, uh, the 17th, 21st, and 29th prospects on the Braves' top 30 list. Great haul. Uh, it, it was. Drew Smiley got a top 15, a top 30, and a fringe major leaguer. I think what you could be looking at is something like this. Jake Woodford, Angel Rondon, and a lower-level minor leaguer. I think that's probably the type of return you're talking about for a guy like Sean Mania. Woodford, Angel Rondon, and a lower-level minor leaguer who's like a lottery ticket, or at least he's viewed that way by the other team. Is that something, when I tell you the price of what it will cost prospect-wise, is that something you would potentially sign up for, Tanner? Oh, yeah. I I would sign up for that. If you're going to tell me you're parting with uh, Woodford because you're going to get a pitcher in return, because I think Woodford right now should have legitimate thought the Cardinals should have legitimate thoughts as him being the number five right now because he was really good down the stretch. I think if you're going to put him in this deal, then who is another name you said, Rondon? Yeah, Rondon. And I don't even necessarily know if it's for sure him, but that's just going in the range of the prospect halls that these teams got. It's something like that. Yeah, if you're going to give up Woodford, a guy that may not even be a guy we talked, we haven't talked about him as being a starter down the road. So, yeah, why not put him in a deal while he still has value? Put another low prospect in Rondon, another like lottery ticket, as you said, to give it to the A's and just see what they can do with it. And you get Sean Manai in return as a one-year rental, basically, till Libertor's ready. Yeah, I'm all in on that. That is something that I would pull off in a heartbeat, and I just hope the Cardinals are considering actually doing that because doing that kind of deal and acquiring a guy on that one-year deal like Sean Manaya makes so much sense for the Cardinals. I think it legitimately gives them a solid rotation, gives them a guy that they have faith in, and it gives another year for Libertor to kind of develop in the minors, or at least that's make spot thing. starts in the major leagues when he's when you need to. So that's why I would do it. It buys you time. Yeah. It buys you a year of finding out what Matthew Libertor looks like. What Are you in yeah, on this? Yeah, I'm in on this as well, especially if you're not giving up much and you can make a move to get a guy to give you one year until Matthew Libertor is ready to be a everyday starter. Yeah, I'm all in on that. We had a text or 65780 is your comfort service text line from the 314. Uh, why would you give up prospects when you can just go get a player by spending? It seems strange to me that they would go this route. You're giving up prospects when you just have other guys that are out there for the money. The prospects that are never going to see the light of day at major league level. That and also because the, the money's right. I mean, $10 million on a one-year deal for a guy like Manaya. If Maya, Manaya was on the open market this offseason, Tanner, what do you think? Maybe $15 million per year on a multi-year deal is probably, probably what you'd be looking at? Probably three to four. Kind of the range we've been talking about for John Gay, or John Gray, excuse me. Three three to four years, 15 to $20 million each. Yeah, and so that's what you're getting is you're giving up um, prospects for the right to get a one-year trial for Sean Manaya. And by the way, if it goes really well for you, you can either re-sign him 
or you can give him the qualifying offer next offseason and you're able to get a draft pick in return for that. Uh, and if it goes poorly, well, it was one year and now you're you're out from underneath it. And you don't got to worry about it moving forward. So pitching wise, I'm always more interested in the one year deals. Alex, I disagree with your assessment on the position player size, but I do see uh, where you're coming from on that. Pitching wise, I'm I'm always I'm gonna prefer as short as possible because this stuff can go so wrong oh, yeah. so quickly. I'm with you on the pitching side of things. I, I'm not handing out five, seven, eight year deals to pitchers. I, I'm just I'm going one year deals because you just don't know. Yeah, that that's the route that I would prefer to go. And somebody on the text line says, "You guys said Stephen Matz is the same guy. It would cost around ten million dollars." Uh, I I would prefer to have Sean Manaya. The upside is much yeah, higher on I want Manaya. Manaya. I think Sean Manaya is a better player. Like you said, he would be cheaper. And let's be honest, if if Manaya was on the open market, he would make more than what Sean, or Stephen Matz is going to make this offseason. He'd probably be the top left-hander, maybe second, depending on how you view Kershaw. Yeah, and the other thing about Stephen Matz, he's probably getting a multi-year deal. I, yeah. I would be pretty surprised if he ends up having to settle for a one-year deal. Same thing for John Gray, as you mentioned. So, like I like I mentioned earlier, I always prefer to have the shorter-term deal, and then you can decide what to do after that. If he's great, you can potentially re-sign him, and you've got him internally to be able to do so. If he's not, if he gets hurt, if he struggles, whatever it might be, well, you just let him walk and you, you go from there. And hopefully Matthew Libertor in that same spot in the rotation, you've got an internal candidate to just fill uh, moving forward. So that's where I'm at on that. If they're going to focus on the pitching side of things, I would rather them go with that lower level market deal and specifically the trade route, as opposed to spending 15, $20 million on a multi-year deal for a guy who I really like in Marcus Stroman. If that's the contract that he's going to be getting, I think they've just got better options out there available to them. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Let's play him a more likely to happen coming up next. What's more likely to happen? They'll figure it out. BK and Ferrario's most likely to happen. Six five seven eight zero is the air cover service X line for more likely to happen. Doug Armstrong has a press conference that you will hear right here on your home for the Blues one hundred one ESPN at one o'clock. So thirty minutes from now, be sure to tune in for that. Do want to pass along a little bit of news? This comes from AJ Perez of Front Office Sports. He tweets out that Rams owner Stan Kroenke reportedly offered one hundred million dollars, one hundred million dollars to settle the relocation lawsuit. That sum was, of course, rejected oh, by the city baby. of St. Louis. Sources also tell front office sports that owners are frustrated. Kroenke hasn't settled and there's not much desire to aid Kroenke financially. He continues. Most owners believe Kroenke has no wiggle room in the agreement that he signed. Quote, Kroenke is likely going to be bound by the terms of the agreement. Wickersham, of course, reported recently that he was trying to get out of it. All 32 teams were listed as defendants while when this lawsuit was filed back in 2017. Um, Jerry Richardson, the former Panthers owner, might have a concerning deposition, (laughs) according to this report. Uh, He was on the NFL's committee on Los Angeles opportunities. He publicly backed the Carson Stadium proposal that would have housed the Chargers and the Raiders, not the Rams. So... That is the report from AJ Perez. Basically, Stan Kroenke, you're bleeped. Yes, you are. More likely to happen. The city of St. Louis gets a multi-billion dollar settlement or the city of St. Louis gets a new franchise in a settlement? I think the city of St. Louis gets a new franchise in the settlement because multi-billion, I think the NFL is going to try and weasel their way out of that one as much as possible. 
Yeah, I'm with you. I think it's more likely they get the franchise because the NFL does not want to spend billions of dollars here in St. Louis and admit that they Can lost, you imagine so. being offered $100 million and be like, yeah, not covering it? Love it. I am amazed that somehow this continues to get worse for Kroenke. I'm not. Like, the he karma is a, a you-know-what. He really might have to have a billion, multi-billions with an S, dollar lawsuit settled here in St. Louis. Get it. You gotta love it. You love to see it. Uh, so I'm going with the franchise as well. I think it's more likely that they end up getting that. You know, I throw a stipulation in there too if I'm the St. Louis attorneys. Give us the money or the stadium, but also you have to shave your mustache. Oh, you, that's added in? That's thrown in yeah, as part of the agreement? Like hey, make it yours. You know what? Why'd you stop the mustache? Let's shave the eyebrows while we're and at shave it. Shave the, the hair, too. Get rid oh, of the toupee. Oh, that was too bald. Now we're going a little too Dr. Long. Evil style. One million dollars. One billion dollars. One billion dollars. <laughs> 65780 is the air covered service text line for more likely to happen. More likely the Blues finish the season with the points leader. Or the Vezina Trophy winner? Who would be the points leader right now? McDavid? No, points. Oh, like individual yeah. points leader? Oh, so yeah. Kyrie leads the team with 12 points yeah. on the McDavid season. McDavid has like 24. Oh, really? Yeah. McDavid and Dry Guys overrated. McDavid and, McDavid and Dry <laughs> They both have 23. <laughs> They're both they on the pace league. for 143 points this season. <laughs> you are nice. looking at the modern day Wayne Gretzky right now with Connor McDavid. Oh, let's. No, I'm not. I'm not pumping the brakes. He's doing something that has not been done since Wayne Gretzky. Okay. I mean, he's, I saw him literally dance through four defenders. He's Mick Jesus out there. He is Mick Post-game, did you see did you see his uh, post-game interview? He's like, yeah, I don't know. I just uh, sometimes I make good plays. He says they like, pay me to make good plays, so I make good plays. It's like, damn. Um, right. I see they, you. They will not have the points leader, so I, I, I have to go with Vezina here. Vezina is going to be tough if Frederick Anderson continues to play this way. Carolina's got a damn good team, but I think Bennington can do it because I think he might play close to 60 games this season. Alex Ovechkin has exclusively gray hair, and he's third in the league in scoring this year. Yeah, he's going to break Gretzky's I record. Said, I saw someone the other day say that they didn't think he would be able to do it. Oh, yeah. Well, it's because of his age. He's 36. But look, uh, he's 154, I think he is, behind he Wayne Gretzky. 740 goals. So if he plays three more years and scores a 50 goals each... He'll tie it. If he plays four Gretzky more years. He has 894. Yeah, so if he plays career. four more years and scores 40 goals, wow, he breaks the record. Fifty goals. He scored 40 goals, like, consistently. All he has to do is stay healthy, and he'll get it. Probably needs four years. And he he, pro- he probably needs play to play until he's 40. Well, or they go deep in the playoffs, which they have the team that can mm-hmm. do it, too. There's that, too. But I, I think I'll go more likely that the Blues have the Vesna winner because Bennington's been unbelievable this year. Playoff goals don't count towards that, right? What? I don't think they do. Yeah, I don't think playoff goals count towards that. Career regular season goals. Yeah. Oh, is it regular season goals? That's Um, stupid. Why wouldn't you do overall goals? I don't know, but that's part of it. Um, I am... I'm with you, Alex. I'm going Vezina Trophy on this one. It feels more likely because Bennington's been so excellent. And I... I don't know how you're able to have anybody catch up with what we're watching right now from Connor McDavid. No, I've, it's I've been happening. telling Alex all along, this is the modern day Wayne Gretzky. <laughs> <laughs> um, 65780 is the Mick air comfort service sex line for more likely to happen. More likely that to happen, the Cardinals sign a $20 million per year pitcher or a $20 million per year position player. Well, I would have said position player, but thanks a lot for ruining my hopes and dreams, John Mosellock, you jerk. I'm starting to think the answer is no. I'm starting to think the answer is no in general because I don't think either of these are going to happen, but I would lean closer to the starting pitcher because 
The Marcus Stroman one really intrigues me, especially talking with Keith Law and going back and looking at that. Not that I had to confirm Keith Law. I just wanted to. But like they, they were one draft pick away from Marcus Stroman. So if this was a guy that the Cardinals wanted and now they have the opportunity to do it and he makes your team much better, I could see that happening for 20 mil. So I'll say uh, the pitcher. Yeah, I think I'm with you now that we've heard John Mozeliak speak from the GM meetings. It makes me believe that they're more in on the pitching. So I think I'm going to say it's more likely they add a $20 million pitcher than it is they had a $20 million position player. You guys are ready for future St. Louis Cardinal shortstop Pavi Baez? One year, 10 mil. No, one year, 23. <laughs> he, he ain't playing for $10 million. I, I, think I'm, I think I'm on board at this point. Would you guys get on board? I, I, by the way, I think it's more likely they end up with a position player making $20 million or more. I can't imagine. The lesson they learned from last year is, hey, we need to sign a $20 million pitcher. They're going to go... There's gonna, no way that's the lesson to be learned. They're going to go into the Korean Baseball League, and they're going to sign some guy for $20 million. I think they might go in. Th- this guy that they're connected Nick to right Martinez. now. Yeah, I, I, I literally know nothing about when him other than he was time, really good. When was the last time a, a pitcher overseas panned out for the Cardinals for more than a season? I mean, more than a season. was good for a couple. Michaelis had two good year, years. He had a and good he, year. He was good he last okay year when year. healthy. He just got hurt. I just think I don't that, think they should have ever signed that contract. I don't think it was well, maybe, but he, I think he only yeah, had one year. year. I, I just don't think you do it. I think you get a great but what year. What if it's a one-year deal? <laughs> They're never one-year deals. <laughs> True. <laughs> I think, was Michaelis two? I think he was, think two, was two in the front end. Yeah. Was it an option two? It may have had an option. I can't remember. But it was two, so. but they re-upped him after the first year. Which he, was ridiculous. Look, it was he totally looked like a Cy Young guy that year. Way to go, Mo. Let's go sign those pitchers. Mike Leak, ladies and gentlemen. Would you guys be in on if the, more likely to happen, the Cardinals sign Javi Baez ugh, ugh. or the Cardinals sign one of those DH types that we've been talking about? Like Castellanos, Schwarber. Schwarber, Castellanos. Uh, I mean, this is obviously the wide spectrum of ranges, but um, Rosario, one of those guys. More likely they sign Baez or one of those guys. I think it's more likely you sign one of those guys because I don't know if Baez does the one-year deal. Somebody might pay him a lot of money to come to them and give him a multi-year deal. And there's a better, if I'm playing the odds here, if I'm if I'm, if I'm blackjack right now and I'm playing against the the dealer. Hit it 20. No, I like to live dangerously. Another Austin Powers reference. I'm going to go with the other options. Yeah, I think it's more likely they'd look at the other options. I, I just don't think that they would look at Baez as the guy i i just think that they view him as too heavy strikeout hitter and that they will view him also as a guy that just really doesn't fit here in st louis so i think it'd be more likely they would look at like a nelson cruz on a one-year deal what if yachty goes to mo and says you need to sign this guy he might does that does that sway mo's decision i think we have i think it's become pretty clear that people in the organization not named john mosaylock don't sway john mosaylock on what john mosaylock needs to do there's a lot of john mosaylocks now only mo tells mo what to do mo never does anything unless mo tells mo what to do that's right i mean i i feel like we learned that with the mike schultz saga no yeah that's true i mean schultz not the manager anymore at least based on reports in part because of this look yadi goes mo misread a text and then you know (laughs) look yadi goes to the office of john mosaic and says uh mo i think we need to sign hobby bias he says you know we got philosophical differences go back to your room i mean hobby bias is still a good player no 314 i don't have a mike leak t-shirt in my jersey closet jerk uh, 65780 is the air comfort service tax line for more likely to happen. More likely the Cardinals spend $10 million on a pitcher or a starter or a reliever. This has got to be a starter, right? 
I, I would be very surprised if they sign $10 million. If, if they sign a reliever for $10 million, BK will just lose his ish on this radio station. Oh, I will, yeah, they, they can't. They can't do that. Again, lessons have been learned. Did you in not just years. hear what we said? Nobody tells Mo what Mo is going to do. I mean, Brett Cecil, Andrew Miller. Really Cecil was fine if he wouldn't have gotten into video games. Brett Cecil was so bad for this team. Who else was War there that they signed for Holland, big money? One year, fourteen. Holland. That was I a mean, Mike Matheny thing. How about how about this one? People don't remember this one. Luke Gregerson. What did they sign him to? Three years. Or no, oh, maybe two. God. Luke Gregerson. Wow. That I, I forgot pitched, about I that one. I think he legitimately pitched in like three games, and then he hurt his knee and never pitched again. Oh, I think it was like God. a two- or three-year deal. The last greatest two years, $11 million, and then he signed another one-year deal for $6 million, something like that. The last Oof. greatest bullpen pitcher that the Cardinals signed was who? The bullpen arm? Yeah. I mean, they've signed some good ones that were on the lower end, but if we're talking big money deals for Randy them? Choate. He wasn't that good either. <laughs> he was. They just, no. <laughs> they just signed Luis Garcia last year. He was pretty good. No, you picked him off off of waivers. Yeah, but you had to sign him. <laughs> oh, oh, sign oh him now we're playing <laughs> this game, aren't we? Mr. With Alex Ferrario, and I'm Brandon Pot- Kylie. By the way, Sungwon was really good. So that at one point in he time, was he was outstanding. Really good. That was a really good signing. One good then. signing. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll hear from Doug Armstrong. We do not know exactly what Army is going to announce other than that the car, the Blues have sent uh, Jake Neighbors back down to the juniors. So Doug Armstrong will, I would imagine, explain that decision coming up at 1 o'clock. We'll hear what else he has to say to the media at 1 o'clock. Next, let's dive into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. He's Alex Ferrario, that's Taylor Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Time to dive into the junk drawer. In 10 minutes, we'll hear from the Blues president of hockey operations, Doug Armstrong. He has called a press conference, so we'll hear what he has to say coming up in about 10 minutes or so. Alex, do you like vodka? Are you a vodka fan? Yeah, I can do vodka. It's got that's gotta I it's gotta be in a good mixed drink, though. I don't do vodka straight. Do you like the flavored vodka or do you just go with like your typical Tito's, Grey Goose? Tito's is the the go-to for The drink of choice. Yeah, that's the Tito's. Tanner, what do you think of vodka? I would have to imagine you've at least experimented a little bit. Yeah, I've experimented a lot. It's okay. It's not my go-to. I'd rather drink like whiskey or something than that, but rather than uh, vodka. But yeah, I'll drink it. It's probably my last choice. I, I would go whiskey. I would go gin. I would go tequila. Might be a choice over rum, but it's pretty low on my choice. Yeah, oh, you go that over rum? No, sh- really? Yeah, I'm not a big rum guy. Too, a little too rum. sweet for me. A little too much sweetness there. Um, There's no sweetness in BK's body. That's right. Um, I don't, man. however, have a whole lot of interest in Arby's new vodka that they are trying out. Have you seen anything about this? Oh, hold on. There's a fast food chain that's trying vodka. That is correct. I'm interested. Arby's has a new curly fry and crinkle fry vodka. The 80 proof spirits are made from potato vodka and distilled with real ingredients spy, uh, inspired by the brand's curly and crinkle fry flavor profiles. You can buy this for a crisp $59.99. It will be available coming up here one week from tomorrow at Arby'sVodka.com. Does, Naturally. It, does it taste like curly fries? I 
I would have to imagine. Otherwise, that feels like it would be a little bit of... Uh, Look, don't get me wrong. Arby's has misleading. sensational curly fries. Like, sensational curly fries. Dip in some cheese? Uh, no. What? Ew. Can yeah. you imagine drinking curly fry flavored is it like a, vodka? Is it like a worm at the bottle of the tequila? Is there yeah, a curly fry at the bottom of a vodka that you got to drink to get to? Ooh, that that's nasty. Disgusting. That's nasty. No, I'm out on this one. And I don't think I'd be paying $60 for that anyway. No. I get a nice bottle a of Tito's for 60 You can get a nice bottle of Tito's for like 35 uh, I, you're, <laughs> buying, local grocery. you're buying your Tito's from the wrong place. <laughs> I think you were buying it from yeah, the wait, wrong I'm place. Confused. That might sound... That might sound right, actually. Yeah, I yeah I'm out on this one. I'm going to stick with my, uh, my my general whiskey, vodka, tequila. I don't need seasoned fries in my there are, drink. There are some things that shouldn't be a flavor, and I think fries is one of them. That's one of them. And then there was like some Oreo flavor that came out a couple of days ago that was For vodka? No, 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 no. For Oreos. That's another flavor. Well, I was going to say, should... an Oreo vodka thing sounds actually kind of good. Oreo vodka, I'd be in on. It's I, too I sweet for to BK. Say, I, I think I could get with that as... Maybe some sort of a dessert drink. I could get behind that. There were not- dessert. Have you ever had like cake wine? Oh, <laughs> watch no, out! Can't now. say I have. Is that it's good? Fantastic. By the way, did you know that Natty Light now has uh, three new flavors: lemonade, strawberry lemonade, and Are those black seltzers. Cherry? Huh? Are those seltzers? I think Wait, it's just flavored stra- beer. Wait, I think strawberry lemonades. That's not new, is it? Hey, someone. Uh-huh. Someone said that you Aren't have to chase Natterdays? the vodka with Arby's sauce. Would you do oh, that's that? That's disgusting. I would if I get paid for it. Oh, this is vodka. Natty Light introduces flavored vodka as domestic v- beer sales are slumping. Nothing oh. is off the table for, uh, according to them, their products. So Natty Light, I, that w- that I would try. I would try the Natty Light vodka. I'm not interested in this uh, this French fry flavored Ooh, there's vodka. There's popcorn flavored M and M's. Yeah. What? See, we've gone too far. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Yeah, like we can't just get all like the one that really just concerns me the most is like the bacon, lettuce, tomato flavored chips. Like, what is the what is the deal? We've been we've gotten so far with just normal flavored chips, barbecue, sour cream and onion. Now, hold, on. hold on. Now are we old men yelling at clouds with the chip flavors? Well, kind of. You don't have to eat them. You old guys. Well, I know we don't have to eat them, but I'd love to know what the audience is for a bag of chips that <laughs> tastes fair. like bacon, lettuce, tomato or ketchup. I would try that. See, the ketchup chips, I think, are isn't that a, um, a Canadian thing? Might be. I, I think that's a Canadian and thing. And Jamie's if I'm not in mistaken. today, so I don't want to say anything about that. Yeah, so I'm sure that's delicious. Face. He wouldn't break my face. He might. I'm missing teeth, so can't do much to Alex, it. Alex, what do you have for us today in the junk? Well, BK, buddy? we all know you love uh, strange hobbies, and that's running. I do. It's a it's very strange. It's a very strange hobby. I don't know why you would do that pain to yourself. Today. It's beautiful outside. Well, I got something that might give you the runs on your run. I don't want that. How would you I've like to set a, a How would you like to set a Guinness World Record? Because there is a woman who just ran 95 marathon distances in 95 days. No way. She ran 26.2, 95 straight days. She was living in Italy, so props to her Italian background here. But Alyssa Clark, who's originally from Vermont, said in 2020 she wanted to do something that would turn people away from the COVID conversation. And so she decided to run 95 marathons in 95 oh my days. God. I mean, impressive. even if you're a really good marathoner, that's like how many three hours a day. How many? And bathroom- that's if you're really oh talented. That's way too many of them. How many bathroom breaks would you have to take in a 95 marathon stint? Oh, I mean, you're, it depends. That's tough, man. Cause you can prepare your body for one marathon pretty well. 
doing it every day, it would completely change the way you have to live. Don't you have to, like, take a couple of weeks off after a marathon so you can, like, get your body healed? There are some super marathoners out there that do wild stuff, man. You'd be amazed at some of the things that these people are doing. I mean, they're they're running, like, 50 miles in a race. I cannot relate. I have tried running one marathon. It was really great for about 22 miles. I was on a fantastic pace, about 7.15 per mile. I was doing really well. And I got to the 22nd mile. My right leg said, nope. My left leg said, nope. And my your bowels said, nope. <laughs> and for the next, like, four miles, I was basically walking. Oh, wow. So it's, I, only, it's only running I do is when I have to go to the bathroom after I yeah. eat dairy. I, I can also report my three-mile walk yesterday was good. With Alex Ferrari and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon yeah, Kiley. Yeah. We'll hear from Doug Armstrong, the Blues president of hockey operations, next on 101 ESPN. Welcome back. BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Doug Armstrong is speaking live to the media now. He started out his press conference today talking about Braden Shin, an update on him. He said he's day-to-day. Now let's listen in to the president of hockey operations, Doug Armstrong. Well, instead of carting him around the country... I was get them back, get them rested, have them see our doctors, and and hopefully get ready for for when when you return. And as I said, I think he was on the ice uh, today, and so we're getting closer. But just the thought of of if he wasn't going to play these games, there was no sense of of you know having him travel. Uh, that that wasn't an easy travel, quite honestly. So getting him home was uh, was the best way to go. What your thoughts? Uh to us about uh, sending neighbors back to juniors and and what went into that? Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, yeah, yeah. I, I told uh, Jake, I think starting last uh, January at that camp coming into the last season, I thought he did a really good job with our guys and, uh, you know, blended well with our veteran group. And then coming in this summer, he did a fantastic job training and then giving himself a great training camp and a platform to, to give us some games. Uh, you know, when I when I talk to him and when I talk to our group, um, what we need to do is make sure we're we're giving him the ability to create a foundation to have a solid career. Uh, last year, just because of COVID, he didn't get to play a lot of hockey. There's a uh, we don't want him to miss any steps in his in his uh, growth. I think going back and being a leader on his uh, junior team, uh, you know, playing well and getting an opportunity to represent Canada if, if asked, that's a that's a big step. And uh, Lou, I think when you when you ask somebody to to play all situations, whether it's uh, you know five on four, four on five, six on five, five on six, you know end of games, they have to refer back to when they've done it in the past. And quite honestly, his his wealth of experience isn't great because of COVID. So going back and and playing with the puck, being a being a leader on and off the ice, playing big minutes uh, on on a team that's you know co- constantly in the top ten in the the CHL rankings right now gives him, give him a great opportunity. He's got some great teammates there to play with. And um, I, I think he could have survived this year. Uh, but, you know, when you have a, when you have a prospect that you're going to count on for more than that, I think surviving isn't enough. Uh, and so it was important for us to, to maybe bite the bullet uh, this year for far as our, our team to give him the best chance to have the best career. And I think, you know, we didn't want to be penny wise, pound foolish. He, he could have stayed with us and continued down the path of of in and out of the lineup and limited minutes. And I just didn't think that that was smart, uh, long, uh, medium and long term plans for our organization. Doug, uh, 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 can you clear this up for me? So now now that he's back in the Western Hockey League, you cannot bring him back this season. Is that correct? 
there, we could get into emergency situations, which are, are very difficult to get into. So for all intents and purposes, he's going to go back and, and finish his year uh, and hopefully take, take his team deep into the playoffs and the Memorial cup. And then, uh, you know, we're going to, we're going to monitor him. We're going to work with him. We're going to work with uh, Edmonton to, to make sure his growth patterns still continue. But yes, for, for all intents and purposes, he's, he, he won't be back in the NHL this season. How is uh, it looks like Sunquist is getting close. What's the what's the outlook for him? Yeah, he's gone from week to week. I would say to uh, you know getting closer to day to day. Hopefully, we'll see him in the next uh, the next little while. Again, it's just the comfort level of the banging now and and practicing and getting pushed on. But uh, I see I certainly see light at the end of the tunnel, and I think that's a positive thing. Whether it's you know, in the next seven days or 10 days or 14 days, we're hoping it's uh, sooner than later and he's making good progress. And really there, there's been no setbacks and we're hoping that there aren't any and, and we'll get him in the lineup real soon. And, and how do you make the cap work to, to, to get, to get him back? Well, I think that the caps wasn't going to be an issue. We started the season with him on our roster uh, and then put him on LTI. So we'll just have to move other guys down to the American hockey league and, um, we started the season with Sonny on there as one of 23. And uh, when he comes off, he'll be one of 23 uh, at that point too. You're listening to Doug Armstrong, president of hockey operations for the blues and you're home for the blues. One one ESPN. Uh, who's so doing a, a, a Baruby uh, chief said he thought he might be able to return skating uh, on uh, Thursday. Yeah. My, um, it, it's sort of the, my understanding of the way that they, the league and the PA would like us to, document these as they're in protocol until they're not and so we're not going to put a timeline on it but uh we expect him to be back in relatively short order uh i don't want to put an exact date on it just because we want to run through the the necessary tests and and give it the timeline but uh i think all of our guys obviously are getting closer to the finish line than they are to the the start line where where it was a while ago and what what can you say about uh hofer how he how he stepped up in uh in san jose yeah, I thought he did a great job, uh, especially with the way we we uh, started the game for him, uh, killing the penalties. And uh, I haven't seen, quite honestly, I haven't seen that type of power play early in a game like that when you had a five-on-four, a five-on-three, a four-on-three. He basically faced everything he's going to face all year long and in the first 10 minutes of his NHL career. I thought he did a great job. Uh, you know, the, the, the goals that went in were, were goal scorers goals. Uh, he had a little bit of bad luck, but I thought he did a great job. And I think what, what you see is how comfortable the players were, how a, how they wanted to play for him. They battled that entire game. And I thought he did a great job of, of getting his, uh, giving him a chance himself, a chance in the third period. And it was great to see the win. Obviously the assist was a, a little bit added bonus. And um, he's another guy that, that we saw last year unexpectedly uh, in January and got our guys' attention with his work ethic, with his ability uh, to, to play the game. And it's a real positive when you see young players coming like that, that not only have talent, but also have the right uh, characteristics to be part of an organization. Uh, it, it's rewarding, I think, for guys like, uh, I talked to Shanner about a little bit, you know, guys signing here for a long term they can they see the the growth of a Cairo this year and last year they see the growth of a Thomas then you have you know neighbors giving you a flash and Hofer and Scotty Prunovich I think he's got 16 points in nine games so when when you sign on for those long-term deals I think you want to be a competitive as long as possible and 
I credit our scouting staff and Tim Taylor and the development staff for giving these guys the opportunity to grow and get better. And, uh, you know, we're a team built for today, but you always want to have an eye on the future. And at least there's, there's some positive looking young players there for the next uh, foreseeable future. Doug, I'm assuming that Tory Krug will have to sit out the 10 days, but does the tweak in the COVID rule allow him to come out any sooner? Uh, not really. I, I, I don't think uh, the, the tweak didn't sound that, that, uh, yeah, I'm not a doctor, so I'm not. I'm not really sure. I'm not counting. I'm not counting on him getting out any earlier than than before. And if he does, we'll we'll, we'll be happy for that. Thanks. Hey, Doug, Doug, speaking of, here. Oh, go ahead, Lou. Sorry, uh, Doug. Speaking of Perunovic, uh, is he knocking on the door to maybe getting up here soon, or do you just uh, feel he's better off continuing to pound away the way he has down in Springfield? Yeah, I, I think that he's getting certainly closer to uh, to to getting up here you know as i said he his his point totals are are off the charts obviously in the american league for a, a rookie defenseman uh but again he he's playing lots of minutes he's he's touching every aspect of 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 the team down there i don't think he's gonna it's certainly not hurting his development by playing uh lots of minutes and playing games right now he hadn't played a lot of hockey over the last couple of years but if he continues like this you know at, at some point you you just have to tip your hat and give them the opportunity and uh, it's not going to be for a little while but it's also not it's, it's not something that we're saying okay we'll see where he is a year from now that was doug armstrong's press conference today if you missed any of it it sounds like Braden chin this is not going to be a long-term thing for him it is day-to-day he was skating at the rink today that is very Huge. good news for the blues and frankly i was prepared for the worst on that one uh sunquist is still day-to-day uh, he said there is light at the end of the end of the tunnel for Oscar Sundquist. He mentioned specifically it could be seven, 10, maybe 14 days. So I would imagine at some point in the next couple of weeks, probably before Thanksgiving, you could pro- I would imagine expects to see Oscar Sundquist back in the active lineup for the Blues there at the end. I think that was the biggest thing we were wondering about, Alex, after we got uh, the news that nothing has changed on Tory Krug status, really. I was wondering, okay, what does that mean for Perunovic? It does not sound like he is in the immediate plans for the Blues, which, honestly, I got to say, surprised me a little bit. It surprised me, too, because Callie Rosen had a really tough game last night, and I understand they're in a cap situation, but if they are able to send Jake Neighbors down and if Ville Husso does come out of protocol in the next couple of days, it gives you some cap flexibility, but it would make sense to bring Scott Perunovic up because, one, he's tearing up the minor leagues, and, two, he matches a lot of what Tory Krug provides to your team, but it does sound like that Doug Armstrong wants to go kind of business as usual and let him continue to play because the one thing we have to remember, he did not play any hockey last season. And he's, he's clearly ready. He clearly is ready, but from, you know, it's all about the long term of younger players. Sure. That's what the guys always talk about. That's what Doug Armstrong said about Jake Neighbors. So when when you're going long term there and it was a shoulder surgery and we've seen what shoulder surgeries have done in the past to individual players, you want to make sure he's completely ready to go. When I talked to the Springfield Thunderbirds guy a couple of games ago, he said that Perunovic will not be in the minors all season. He's just too good to be down here. But I also think that right now you want to just let him continue to ride what he is doing. And when the car, when the Blues get into a really bad spot, that's when they bring somebody up. Yeah, that, it makes sense. And credit to the Blues for not getting over anxious and seeing like, oh, yes, 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 we're ready to go. Scott Perunovic. It does make sense to be patient. 
with this. That was a mantra for the Cardinals. It appears that that is also the mantra for the Blues. I understand you don't want to put the big league team's uh, importance in front of what the player is. Perunovic is going to be a, a huge piece for what the Blues are doing, not just for 2021 and two, but also for years to come. I get all of that. After watching, though, Callie Rosen last night, it, it's hard for me to imagine that he's the best option for that spot right now. That's the part I just don't know what you do because there's nobody else in the minors that you can go to right now. Like, there's not another player in your minor leagues that you can say, I mean, maybe Steve Santini, but he's a righty. And are you going to put two righties on your third pairing? I, I just don't know. I mean, I, I yeah, you're in, you're in a very tough spot right now because uh, you've got Pareko, Scandella, uh, Falk, and Wallman as your top four. And I, yeah, I don't, you have four guys in your minors right now. Scott Perunovich, Tyler Tucker, who 21 years old. I don't think he's ready. Tommy Cross, who's a 32-year-old guy who's been in the AHL and NHL, and Steve Santini. And Cross is a lefty, but, I mean, you're just in a tough spot right now if you're not bringing up Scott Perunovich because if Tory Krug's not coming on a COVID protocol early because of those kind of COVID situations that they reviewed, Nico Mikla's not coming out sooner either because both of them were placed at the same time. I think I would rather have Santini, honestly. If, you, uh, if you're telling you. me one for one, and I understand it's not his designated spot, but it, it feels like that's the way you go. Yeah. The other thing, uh, non-Perunovich related, what do you do cap-wise? Because they're in a crunch now with Braden Shin not going on LTIR. If, if Shin was going to go on LTIR and he's going to be out for an extended period of time, and by the way, them not putting him on there tells you this is legitimately day-to-day. Otherwise, there would be no reason. Yeah, he would have been on there immediately to, to keep him um, on the active roster because it it makes things a lot easier a lot cleaner for them when it comes to the cap situation so him staying on the active roster not going to LTIR means they're gonna have some difficult decisions to make here pretty soon and the easiest part is okay you remove Joel Hofer you put him down to the AHL that's eight hundred thousand dollars that comes off of your books because you're gonna replace him with Ville Husso it's basically one for one that the contract it's it's the same as it was uh, with Hofer um, what you end up doing with your defenseman, you'll take Callie Roseman off um, and Tori Krug will go back into that spot. Kyle Clifford comes back up and that's where things get interesting. What do you do with your forwards? And then when you activate Oscar Sunquist and his $2.75 million, what do you do there? How, how do you get this thing back? To where it needs to be. Well, when Kyle Clifford's activated, I don't think you have to do anything because he's still considered a part of your sure. roster. But what when Sunquist is activated, that's where the problems begin to rise. And you and I were talking in a break about what you would do. And the obvious choice there is, at least from our perspective, was, okay, well, you put Kyle Clifford through waivers because Oscar Sunquist is essentially going to be taking over a roster spot on a nightly basis. There's not a whole lot of positions to be played. But Doug Armstrong said something that might be a little tinfoil Ferrario for us here. Great job, T-Bone, of having that ready. Not fair, wasn't told. (laughs) But he said, we started the season with Sunquist on our 23-man roster, and that's what we'll go back to. And remember what they did with that at the beginning of the season. Before Sunquist was placed on LTIR, Clem Costin was sent down to the American Hockey League. So... Do you send Klim Costin down, who's in the same position as Jake Neighbors? He doesn't play late into the hockey game when they make those shorten-the-bench decisions. Or do you keep Kyle Clifford up here, where you have that veteran experience, the Stanley Cup championship, the locker room camaraderie that he's been a part of the last couple of years? 
I was leaning towards Clifford, but after hearing Doug Armstrong and seeing what they did with Jake Neighbors, I might be leaning a little bit towards Clint Costin. So a little BK does math on the radio. Oh, I here. love this. This um, is always bad. I have prepared this, so it oh, shouldn't boy. go awry. Oh, I've prepared a speech. Hofer saves you $800,000. Rosen saves you $750,000. That's 1.5 okay. that you have saved of LTIR. You need another $760,000. Oh, my God. Who makes $760,000 on this team? In terms of guys that you feel comfortable sending down, yeah, you've got two options. Clem Costin makes eight sixty, and uh, if you're looking at Kyle Clifford, he makes a million dollars. Those are your options. It's exactly what you said. Th- those both get you to where you need to be to be able to activate um, Oscar Sundquist, and, and that's the last guy you've got to activate. LTIR at that point, you're done with it, and you don't have to worry about it moving forward. This comes down to there. There's one other option. You send Dakota Joshua back down. And in my opinion, I think this will come down to a competition between Dakota Joshua and Clem Costa. Well, Dakota Joshua's got to go back down either way. How so? Because right now he's not on the book. So he would add another. But he's coming, he's coming up with Jake Neighbors I know, but going I'm, down. The, the numbers that I'm talking about, he's not on these books. So that would have to be a given. Uh, because that would add $750,000 more to what I just gave you. So they would so be So you were taking out Jake Neighbors is already. No, I was taking out... Um, because Jake Neighbors goes oh, back to juniors. So yeah. so, yeah, so Dakota Joshua. So, essentially, this is going to come down to a roster decision between Dakota Joshua, Clem Costin, Damn it, and I Kyle thought I was Clifford. ready to go. BK does that on the radio, ladies and gentlemen. Hendricks, and I'm Brandon <laughs> Kiley. Chris Gerber, the voice of the Blues, joins us to react to all of that news in about 15 minutes or so. I owe you all an apology. We'll talk about the Cardinals and whether or not you trust them next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to more of it. It's BK and Ferrario, live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. ESPN. Okay, I've clarified my math, and I apologize to each and every one of you. More BK math <laughs> on the radio! I have written this down. We're ready to go. So the Blues are sending down Jake Neighbors to the juniors. That's going to save them about $850,000. Callie Rosen, when everybody is healthy, will be sent back down. That's another $750,000. Joel Hofer is going to be sent back down. That's eight hundred k. That's $2.4 million. That's all they need to do to be able to activate Oscar Sundquist. Um, but they're also going to need when jo- uh, Joshua ends up getting brought up, they're going to have to determine, do you keep Dakota Joshua up? Or do you do something with Kyle Clifford or do you do something with Clem Costin? I think we, Alex, after going through the lines and what the scenario is going to be, Dakota Joshua going back down makes the most sense. Mm -hmm. So you'll have Sonny still here. He'll be activated. You'll have Costin and Clifford likely as your healthy scratches. And that'll be your 14 forwards moving forward. Saad O'Reilly Perron, Kairu Shin Buchnevich, Barbie Thomas Tarasenko, Sonny Bozak Neal. And then the the two inactives would be Clifford and Costin. And I think this makes the most sense because Dakota Joshua is kind of in the same spot that Jake Neighbors would be in to where you don't really have a role for him here because if you look at that roster when healthy, Dakota Joshua is a natural centerman. He could play the wing, but he's a natural centerman for you. And you have six guys who can play center. He's like the seventh guy on your depth chart of centermen because if Bozak or Thomas or Shen gets injured, Barbashev and Sundquist can shift over. Joshua's the odd one out. I think you keep Kyle Clifford for the veteran experience and the enforcer role that he can play. And because, let's be honest, he's not a guy that you worry about keeping him on the bench. Exactly. If he's going to be on the bench, that's fine. Yeah. And, Co- and Clem Costin's going to stay up here because, one, he's 22 years old. He can't do anything else in the minors. And, two, he's actually had a really good start to the year. So I think that's the likely option what happens once you're back to full strength. All right. So that's where the boomers are at. Now let's talk a little bit of Cardinals. Yesterday, I was talking to BT during the crossover, Alex, and he said something something that I found fascinating 
Um, he, we were basically talking about, hey, what do you do pitching-wise? And here's what he had to say to me. It was a little, it's like 10 seconds. And it was like a light bulb that lit up in my mind after he said this. You trust your evaluators. You trust the people within your organization. Can they fine-tune that pitcher that had the down year and turn him into the one that has the great year? In other words, do you trust the Cardinals? Do you trust the Cardinals in 2022 to do what they did last year? They found Wade LeBlanc. They found Luis Garcia, TJ McFarland, Jay Happ, John Lester. Those guys, when they acquired them, I remember there was a whole lot of, <laughs> the Cardinals going cheap again. <laughs> that is what you said. That's exactly what you said in the office, man. That is not what I said. I thought it was a smart move to get Jay Happ. Oh. And I said John Lester was their second most important pitcher down the stretch. If I remember, remember that, if, that I, did. if I remember verbatim, I gave you the numbers of I think it was Jay Happ's previous start against the Tigers, and you said it's fine. It's fine. That's it's what fine. I said. It's and true. guess what? It was fine. Eh, it I wouldn't okay. say it was great, but it was fine. Because the Cardinals found a way to maximize what they got out of those players. TJ McFarland was on his way potentially out of the league. Now he made two point five million dollars from the Cardinals. Luis Garcia got released from the Yankees triple A club. And then the Cardinals made him into a guy that might make $5 million next year. Do you trust them to do it again? Do you trust this team this offseason if they sign a guy that had a 5.8 ERA last year for some random club and threw 170 innings for them? Are you going to trust that they're going to be right the same way that they were with guys like LeBlanc, Garcia, McFarland, Happ, and Lester last year? I don't know if trust is the right word. I'll believe well, there's in There's only one word, trust or untrust. I will believe in kind of the process because they did it last year, but I would rather they not do that process. And the reason I say that is because what's the what was the talk that we talked about? Well, you got to find the diamond in the rough. Well, they happened to find diamonds every time they did it last time. So They missed point, on Miller. He was fine, but he ended up not being yeah. a part of their bullpen really at the end. I, so at some point, I don't think that's going to work out for him. So I would rather it be more of the surefire things. I'm okay if you want to do one or two of those kind of quote-unquote experiments, but I don't want that to be like the whole offseason where it's like, yeah, 5.80 RA, 70 RA, 80 RA. We're going to make these things look great. And I'm going to look sit here and be like, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. I don't know if I trust the Cardinals front office, but I trust the Cardinals defense. That's where I'm at. Like, uh, if you put a bad starter there, as long as he throws strikes, I think this defense can take care. You just can't go out there and get a notorious home run guy who just gives them up nonstop. But even that, I think at this park, it might work. I'm st- wow, yeah, that was great at the park. Issue. Great at the park, but on eighty-one road or eighty-one ho- uh, road games is going to be awful when they start. So I don't know how you can set that up to where you're not seeing those guys. I am still a little skeptical, though, because in the past, when it comes to free agency, yeah, the Cardinals are awesome at the trade deadline, and they're awesome on the waiver wire. When it comes to free agency, this team does not have a lot of success in terms of pitchers. And you can use the argument of Miles Michaelis, and you can use the argument that Mike Leake would have been better if he had better defense, but notoriously, this team struggles at finding good starting pitchers and paying money in the free agent market. Uh, Relievers, I would definitely agree with you on. I I think starters-wise, they've done okay. Uh, I think even KK was a pretty good signing. Now, it didn't work in year two, but even then, he was pretty effective. It it just wasn't what they were hoping for, and they were banking on more out of him this year. I think they're fine with it. And I also think what they have now that they did not have for a five-year stretch is this defense. This defense changes everything for me. I'm with you. I I don't know that I trust their front office to necessarily identify the guy, but I do trust their coaching staff to get the most out of these players. I think we learned that with Mike Maddox last year. And I trust that the defense behind them, if they find pitchers that are willing to throw strikes regularly, 
I trust the defense to convert those ground balls, to convert those fly balls into outs better than any other team in the sport. And I also trust that they play in front at a ballpark where those home runs that they were giving up elsewhere, they get suppressed here at Bush Stadium. It's just not the same. It's a pitcher's park. So uh, you have a great defense. You have a park that you're playing in, which suppresses home runs. And you have a coaching staff that's going to likely get the most out of you and can make a couple of tweaks that might be able to elongate your career. This is why I'm not going about it the way that people have suggested with the $20 million per year pitcher. I don't think you need it. I, I trust them to go out there and find a guy, whether it be for $5, $10 million, that can be a fourth or fifth starter for you, that can be reliable, give you 160 innings next year. That's all you need out of them. I just don't know if the Cardinals have given me the benefit of the doubt yet. Like we were talking about this earlier, and I know it's the Blues, but like Doug Armstrong and Craig Bruby have gotten the benefit of the doubt that if they do something we question, we sit there and say, well, they have success with it. The Cardinals have just struggled in this area so much for me to sit here and say, well, you know what? Mo pulls it off. I think it's different now with the defense. I really do. Because when Mike Leak was signed, because I know that's a big comp for everybody. Um, when Mike Leak was signed, they had a defense that had like Jose Martinez playing every day. Matt Carpenter was out there every day. The outfield at Dexter Fowler patrolling center field. It's just so different now that if you signed Mike Leak today, I would still think it was an overpay. That was an overpay from the moment that they signed him. It was a bad deal. But I bet you he'd have like a 3-8 ERA and throw 170 innings for the Cardinals next year or a 4-0 ERA. And I think that's kind of what you're looking for. I would not give them the mo- give that version, this year's version of Mike Leak, the same money they gave Mike Leak. I thought it was a bad deal. But I think that Mike Leak in this scenario would be successful. I, I agree with you that the defense is going to make a big difference, but I don't know how much I want to go into it saying – the defense and the park are going to fix a pitcher because part of that I just don't know is true. Now, there are some guys for sure, like Jay Happ. Yeah, he benefited from being here in Bush. John Lesser, he had a de- like You could legitimately see John Lesser. I, I watched him pitch when he was with the Nationals. They didn't have the defense like the Cardinals did, and you could tell that clearly benefited him. Jay Happ, you could tell a little bit that he was in a bigger ballpark, so it helped. But I don't know how much I really want to go into the offseason saying, yeah, my defense, because I agree, the defense is great. Maybe one of the best defenses they've had in the last – 20 years, possibly. One of the best defenses we've ever seen. Yeah, so I agree with that. The best defense we've ever seen. I I mean, they set a record. (laughs) I I agree with that notion, but I don't know how much I want to go in the offseason saying, yeah, this defense, this ballpark, that's the fix for a pitcher. That's where I have a little bit of concern with that. 618 said they barely made the wild card with this defense. Their their defense is what kept them in the wild card game. Their defense is what got them the 17-game win streak. I, I mean, if there's one thing that you cannot be skeptical about, it's the defense coming into this year. A guy that I would kind of hone in on as being interesting from this respect would be a guy like Michael Pineda. Um, If he's able to use the defense that's behind him, um, he he makes quite a bit of sense. He is a strike thrower. He does not walk a whole lot of guys, and he was crushed because of where he played last year with Minnesota. He also has some injury questions. That's part of the scouting report with him that you've got to go into, but he, he is one that I would throw out as a candidate to be this version uh he is next year's john lester basically he's had the pedigree he's uh at times in his career been very good he's also at times in his career not been very good so i i think i trust him that's why i would go that route and it also allows you to open up the flexibility of hey are you trusting them on the position player side of things to get it right with gorman yepes Nupar, or are you trusting them on the uh pitching side of things 
I think they've earned more of the benefit of the doubt on the pitching side of things than the position player side of things. So that's kind of where I, why I'm looking at it that way. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kiley. We'll catch up with the voice of the Blues, Chris Gerber, to hear what his reaction is to Shin being day-to-day, Oscar Sundquist being back within the next couple of weeks, and Jake Neighbors being sent down to juniors. Talk about it all with Chris Kerber next on 101 ESPN. This is exactly where you want to be listening to us. It's PK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. Time now for Curbside with the voice of the blues, Chris Kerber. Brought to you by Slyman Brothers with five St. Louis area locations to serve you. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. If you missed it earlier today, Doug Armstrong met with the media, the Blues president of hockey operations. He updated us on a few of the injuries and on the status for Jake Neighbors, who was sent down back down to juniors earlier today. His nine game trial period officially came to an end. Braden Shin, according to Doug Armstrong, is day to day. He was skating at the rink today, so it sounds like that's much less severe than uh, maybe some had speculated on. Oscar Sundquist also day to day. Uh, He said there's, quote, light at the end of the tunnel and said it could be 7, 10, 14 days. So it sounds like maybe before Thanksgiving, we could see Sonny activated. And right now we're talking it over with the voice of the blues, Chris Kerber, via the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Kerbs, we appreciate the time as always, man. What was your big reaction to probably the biggest news of the day today that Jake Neighbors is being sent back down to juniors? Yeah, Brandon, not at all surprised, to be honest with you. I think at the, you know, when you watch what you saw in camp, and then what you saw the first couple of games, you think, okay, this it probably looks like a no-brainer he's going to be here. But I think the game caught up to him over the last few. I think the the challenges in the Central Division, the heaviness of play, you've seen the Blues now play, what, four or five Central Division games, you know, and, and so you know what that's going to be like. And then you also now against NHL competition versus, you know, in-and-out competition of, of the preseason really saw – kind of where his level and need is on this team right now because this is a very deep team uh, if the blues weren't as deep he probably stays uh, if maybe some other situations are there he stays but you have the ability to protect your organizational depth you don't have to burn that year now i, I will tell you this I, I really do believe he's a prime candidate for one of those guys that would be better suited in the american hockey league than going back to juniors but the rules don't allow that yet so until the league does change those rules and i hope at some time they do they should change the rule to where every team could put one underage player, one 19-year-old in the American Hockey League, because I think it's better for the organization and the player in this case. I'd like to see that happen. But I think the way the last two weeks have gone in terms of the team play and uh, and his usage, it made sense to put him in a situation where he's going to be playing a lot more, not sitting. Curbs, the other big news and great news from Doug Armstrong was Braden Shen, who uh, Doug said that he was skating earlier today. That's a massive bullet that the uh, the Blues dodged there with Braden Shen because all signs pointed to that looked like it was a really bad injury when he fell in the Chicago Blackhawks game. Well, yeah, and he had come back from that and, and played a little while longer, so... I think the the reevaluation part is the one that kind of opens your eyes because normally you might hear the coach say, no, he'll be fine, or the coach says it's day-to-day. When you're leaving a road trip early, and I think one of the reasons, too, you leave that road trip early is don't forget this team was heading up to Canada, and there was that whole travel aspect of this. But knowing that he was not going to play in the next two games, send him back and reevaluate, I think it's great news. Uh, he's tough. He will play through things. 
My guess is when he does come back, you're still not looking at a player that's going to be 100%, but you're going to be looking at one that's at least somewhat more healed. So uh, when that time comes, that's going to be good for the St. Louis Blues. And I, I thought it was a great update on both him and Oscar Sundquist today. Curbs, what do you think of the way that we've seen uh, uh, Jordan Bennington play of late? Last night, I saw earlier today, he made 13 of 14 high-danger saves against the Jets. Uh, He's been outstanding for the Blues so far this year. What's been your impression of him so far this season, and just how how impressed have you been by his play? Uh, You know what? I've really liked his play all season long. And even in the early going, when you were seeing three or four goals going in each game, I look at the scenario of the bigger lead against Colorado and then the way the defense kind of let things up in a couple of games and made it tougher. You look at the scrambliness of some of those goals. But I, I really like the calm and the, the patience and the efficiency that you've seen in his game over the last few. And I think, you know, fueled by Huso getting the shutout and that internal competition. And then, you know, and then eventually Jordan gets that shutout against Colorado. And, I mean, he delivered exactly what the team needed last, needed last night. They, they needed a goalie win. And to me, that game last night was a goalie win. The last game on a long road trip, you know, that's what you pay your goaltender for, and he came through in colors. And uh, and, and that was a terrific, terrific game for them. So you get five or six of those kind of games over the course of the year, and that's going to be the difference in comfortably making the playoffs, potentially the difference in winning a division. And Jordan Bennington has come out to play this year when you look at his entire body of work. Curve, speaking of the defense, Doug talked about Scott Perunovich earlier today, and we, we learned a couple of days ago that a lot of the reason he's not up here yet because of the Tory Krug situation is because of the signing bonuses and how they can't get that under the salary cap. But are you a little surprised that with this maneuvering of things going on with um, them having the ability to send Jake Neighbors down, and yes, they did have to call up Dakota Joshua, but surprised that we haven't seen Perunovich up here yet? Not, not entirely, Alex. And and one of the reasons is is I, having watched, you know, one been in that league and, and watched players get called up and get sent back down, and then watch how teams over you know last two decades really have used that. I don't think there's any need. There's really no need to have to rush that development of him coming up there. He's playing in every situation. His confidence is growing as, as it goes. If you're okay with what you're getting from Cali Rosen. You're okay with the schedule right now, and you're okay with you know how you're managing those minutes. There's no harm in keeping him down there. Because really, in the end, I think what you'd like to have happen with a Scott Perunovich is when you call him up, you hope that he's, you've called him up for good. you know. And, and there's not so much a, a, an up-and-forth situation, an up-and-down situation there. So knowing that uh, you're not going to be putting Shen on long-term IR, knowing that you're going to have to be uh, you know finding room at some point for – for Oscar Sundquist here sometime maybe as soon as within the next, you know, seven to days to two weeks. Yeah. I, I think you can just keep him down here and not have to worry about that. He's going to get his time. He's going to get his chance up here. But as, as, as Brandon calmly walked you all through the math just a little while ago, <laughs> not calmly. You know, Cal- you can... calm is one way to put it. Curves. I appreciate <laughs> yeah. the kind words. Listen, I thought, I thought the reason I, I thought it was actually well done. And, and so I, I think, you, you know, the, you just look at that and you, you, you just don't need to make that move right now. Plus, by not making it, again, even though you might have a little bit more room because you cleared Jake Neighbors off the cap right now, you still have a higher cap hit with Scott Perunovich than you do with Callie Rosen. So every day that you're not up against the cap or you're not using LTIR to its fullest or you're, not, you're giving yourself some room, that compounds over the course of the season and actually gives you even a little bit more room closer to the trade deadline if you want to make a move. So 
despite the Jake Neighbors thing moving out, there's still the cap reasons for keeping Rosen here instead of Perunovic. Curbs, final thing for you. We're talking with Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues here on 101 ESPN. I know a cause that is near and dear to your heart is uh, Big Brothers, Big Sisters, and you're doing something really cool, a campaign, Be Big. Can you tell our listeners who might want to get involved with something uh, with Big Brothers, Big Sisters, what is the Be Big campaign and how can they get involved? Yeah, well, well, first off, it, it's it's an initiative of, of the radio station. It's, it's, it's something 101 ESPN's gotten behind in a big way. And so we want to make people even more aware of it. I know they've heard me reading some of the, 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 the reasons for it, but there are over 500 young men and women, you know, you know boys and girls in the St. Louis area that, that are looking for mentors. Their parents are saying, hey, this would benefit my kid. And, and they're looking for big brothers, big sisters. I, I was a big brother when I, when I was in Springfield, Massachusetts. I was another one when I came back here to St. Louis. And I'm telling you, it's one of the most rewarding things when you're talking only about three to four hours a month to spend with it, with a young kid that, that could you, it could be spent building a model rocket, going to the science center, going to the zoo, going to a movie, just going out to grab a bite to eat, maybe just on FaceTime, helping through some math homework or just talking through their day. Sometimes it's just some text messages. Hey, how you doing? And it makes a huge difference. So when we've got that kind of waiting list of, of over 500 kids in the area, we need some bigs. So we need we need we need guys, we need girls, we need couples. And if you go to be big, you know, 101ESPN.com slash be big to get all the details. It, it we want you to learn more about what it's like to be a big brother, big sister, and, and be part of this. We've got a goal of 101 bigs in 101 days. We've got some work to do to reach that. And we need the listeners here on 101 to step up and and help out. They're an amazing organization that does wonders. And and trust me on this when I tell you, one on one you can impact a life that could be one of the biggest impacts you could have on anybody by in this program. So check it out, 101ESPN.com slash be big. That's where they can go, 101ESPN.com slash be big. Curbs, we appreciate the time as always, man. We'll talk with you again next week. You got it. Looking forward to it. And uh, we're looking forward to having Danny Cox join us at our postgame show tomorrow night at OB Clark's too. So we got, we got a lot of great stuff going guys. Have an awesome week and we'll have some fun. Absolutely. Same to you. That's Chris Kerber, voice of the blues here on 101 ESPN. We'll cross things over the fast lane next time now for the crossover on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson and I'm Brandon Kylie. If you missed anything from today's show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, the free 101 ESPN app. We had Chris Kerber moments ago. He even gave me a compliment. Said what? I did good math on the radio. Yeah, now he's wrong. Sarcasm. <laughs> I did not do good math on the radio. The I did horrible time you math. Did. I think it was the third time yeah. that we finally got it right. You need a, you need a good six minutes to get your math down. I yeah. heard that little blurb. And uh, guys, was... I left that segment more confused than anything. Me too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> For what Jamie it's was going, we he the same boat. I was like, what on earth? I did get there in the third segment that we broke it down in terms of the cap math. I finally ended up oh, getting there. At least about 12 it only took minutes. Three. Yeah, it's a uh, third time was a charm. Uh, Jamie Rivers, by the way, is this uh, the voice that you just heard. He's the former superstar blues defenseman. Jamie, what's up, dude? Not much, man. How are you guys doing in here today? Well, we couldn't be any better. It, well, we could have been, and it included you being in the studio, and now we really couldn't man, be. It any took better. you three oh, wow. times, but you got there. There we go. The trend today. Stay hot, BK. Hair looks good, though. 
Thanks, man. Growing it out a yeah, little bit. Yeah, I see that. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, what's coming up today on the fast lane? <laughs> well, we're going to have... HR. Uh, <laughs> that was completely uncalled for. I didn't appreciate it. You were staring at my butt and whistled, and I don't appreciate that. Oh, no, I wasn't. Uh, no, he um, was looking at that hair. Hmm, looking at that salad. Um, Chief, coming up at 3, we got Craig Bruby, so we're going to talk to him well, about, about the Blues, the road trip, and probably more specifically, dig a little bit of a dive into... You know, how they have communicated with Jake Neighbors so far this year and, you know, what some of the parting words were to him, things he could work on. Uh, try to get a little peek behind the curtain uh, on, uh, you know, what the future holds for Jake Neighbors. Were you surprised at all by the move? Oh, did you want me to say something there? I didn't want to steal his thunder because they're going to get into that later on. Oh, I, I was just quickie. Were you surprised? Oh, oh! oh. The fast lane's coming up from two to six. <laughs> yeah, we got tomorrow at eleven. I'm uncomfortable on one hundred and one ESPN. One million dollars. Searching for the perfect gift idea for that hard-to-buy person on your list? The Allbirds Wool Runner is a natural fit. It's made from ZQ-certified merino wool, a naturally cozy material with low environmental impact. And Allbirds offsets the carbon footprint, making the Wool Runner carbon neutral, so you can take comfort in treading lighter. This holiday season, give tidings of comfort and coziness with the Allbirds Wool Runner. Discover your perfect pair at Allbirds.com. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com. Geico asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, Geico can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners or renters coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance, and more, and Geico is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to geico.com or contact your local agent today.